that I used to be a cowboy. I used to rodeo. I even won the world one time. I bet you didn't know that I used to be a cowboy. I used to rodeo. Even won the world one time, I bet you didn't know. I even won the world two times, I guess y'all didn't know. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Horse Poor Podcast. We're coming to you today from a very snowy northern Alberta. Yeah, we had quite the little blizzard this afternoon on our way to High Prairie, Alberta to interview our next guest that we are so excited to bring to you. And it took us a little while to get there, I might say. Well, we did get a little lost, even though we've been to High Prairie probably a million times. And I'm a grandma driver, 10 to 2, 80 kilometers the whole way. We just we just can't follow directions. That's also part of it. We drove past it probably what? Four times? At least. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we should tell people that or not. Right. This next guest is going to blow your mind. He's done things from every corner. Every corner of life. Every corner. Honestly. Every corner of life. Honestly. Not just rodeo, hey? Like, it's no. been, like, everything almost. Movies. Music. Yep. Professional rodeo. Training. Uh, clinics. Yeah. Pretty much everything. And one of the biggest things that I learned from this next guest is... As soon as one door closes, another door opens. Mm -hmm. And he multitasks. Like when he was rodeoing, he made his album. When he was also rodeoing, he started training Colts. And then that led into his career after rodeo. So it was pretty pretty cool to yeah, learn all that. A I'm lot pretty of sure, info. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he even said him or one of his friends took a trailer on the road and uh, didn't have to pull a trailer, but they were starting Colts and getting or and or getting practice in on the road. Yes. Yeah, actually, it was really cool to co to compare what rodeo was like back then to what rodeo is like now. Even like the purse differences, like wow. at the yeah. NFR, it it's crazy. And it is a, a long episode, but we it's so full of information. I feel like we could have had four hours instead of two here with him. Yeah, definitely. And we kind of were like thinking about playing into the idea of having like a mini series with Mel. And now that he's focusing on his horsemanship clinics, we could get some tips and info that he wants to share with us about horsemanship. And if you have any questions for him, please send us those because he would be glad to answer them. Um, but I do want to say like how welcoming him and his wife were as soon as we walked through the door, like there was hot coffee ready for us. There was hugs all around, like <laughs> just the cutest couple. They made us feel right at home. Yeah. It was oh, nice. Definitely did. Yeah. And maybe have sung us a little song. Yes. <laughs> that both was a highlight. Them. Yeah. Yes. Both of them. It was so, and like, those were songs that he wrote. Mm-hmm. He is a very talented guy yes. all around. He is. He, he did say his wife helps him a lot with the music. Yes. <laughs> and she's so sweet. Yeah. 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 Didn't she, uh, he say like their whole family actually yeah, created whole the, new family. the new album. Yeah. That Which is so that's awesome. really nice. Like, yes. Yeah. And you know what? Speaking of all the accomplishments that this man has done in his life, Steph W is going to take it away and introducing you to our next guest. We have been so excited to meet with our next guest. This bronc rider turned horsemanship clinician has been inducted into five Hall of Fames. 
He is an 11-time NFR qualifier, a two-time world champion saddle bronc rider, and a four-time Canadian champion saddle bronc rider. He has also won the Canadian bareback championship, not to mention he has won nearly every major rodeo in North America at least once. I would like to introduce to you Mel Highland. Hey everyone, this is Steph W checking in with Steph H and Nadine, and we are here with our special guest whom we've been so excited to meet with, Mel Highland. How's it going today, Mel? Hey, it's happening. <laughs> so are you riding any, uh, any horses or any colts right now this time of year? I'm, uh, I'm off right now. We, uh, we did a little bit of surgery on my, on my, what do they call a carpal tunnel. Okay. So I'm about a week away. It's been about three weeks, I guess. Yeah, I'm about a week away, and then I'm going to start messing with some ponies again. You bet. Gotcha. And wow. do you have a, a full schedule right after surgery, or do you have to take it easy? Or does the doctor, do they even want you getting back on these horses right away? You know, uh, my, my wife's my doctor at this point. <laughs> so so she, she decides... Well, whether I'm going to start messing with some of my own. Actually, I've got some clinics lined up uh, for the end of January. Okay. And uh, so I've got two, two weekends in a row that are, that are booked full right now, so I'm excited about that. Where are those clinics? They're going to be at a place called Eagle Hills, which is oh. between, uh, it's between Olds and Sundry. Mm-hmm. So we have two oh, weekends wow. there, uh, three-day three day clinics. And I'm looking forward to that because uh, everybody was really excited. I'd met them at the ca- Canadian finals, these people. Oh, yeah. So are they colt starting clinics or more horsemanship clinics? or? These are going to be, you know, I steered away from the colt starting clinics. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll give you a bit of that why in a minute. Uh, but so the, the horsemanship, what I found over the years is that uh, maybe I'm not, not as gutsy as, as my peers uh like um, Ray Hunt, you know, he, he did a lot of cult starting clinics. Mm-hmm. But I think originally when he when he had them, he he uh, he was involved with more ranch people. So they were ranch, you know, people working on big ranches and people that wanted to know how to get their horses going better. And then when you hit, uh, but when you when you get into all, kind of the stream that we're in, a lot of those people don't have any background knowledge at all and then they come to a to a cold starting clinic and at that point you're teaching a, a procedure how you go about getting your colts going and so I run into some people that just didn't ride well enough oh, you didn't, yeah. didn't have mm-hmm. enough sk- personal skills to begin with and so I've just sort of backed off them and I said you know what people need is the understanding of the horse how he moves the movements mm-hmm. and uh postures where you're sitting and so forth yeah. so that's that's been my strong point I felt like there was a place in 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 the world where where you needed to um you needed to fill in for the people because it's so easy once you once you start doing horses for a living and riding horses for many years you you forget that you know you were at that point somewhere where these people were and so yeah. going going back to remember that is 
and I felt like uh, you can't just say it, you kind of got to explain it as best you can. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer, and I, I truly believe that you have to be able to know how to ride and know all the foundations of a horse before you even start riding colts. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to start somewhere, so the horsemanship is definitely a great place to start before you start advancing into the horses that require a little more horsemanship. Yeah, yeah I don't think, I don't think you know, quite often people think of it as a dog and a, a kid and a dog, for example, a kid and, kid and a pup, they grow up together and... And there's kind of communication between the child and the and the dog, but but I don't think it works the same for the horse. The horse is very intelligent, but uh, um, for some reason I don't think that works too good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. So where did it all start, Mel? Did you start up, uh, or did you grow up on a ranch, or did you have a big cowboy family? How did you get into <laughs> horses? <laughs> you know that's interesting because that's. It's weird because where I where I grew up was on the west coast. So oh, wow. I was in Langley, Surrey. Uh, to start with, we lived on a half acre lot. We had a corral that was fifty by one hundred. That's where I learned to ride bucking horses. Okay. And um, <laughs> we graduated from there. We went. Oh gosh, we went all the way to Surrey, BC, which is about maybe ten miles, I guess, exactly from where we once lived. And we had 14 acres, and, like, we thought we'd moved on a ranch. It was just huge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was just unbelievable. And uh, so, but but how I got started was, you know, my dad, Jack Highland, they grew up in a little place called Manterio, Saskatchewan. Um, just for a little bit of uh, where that is, it's, it's 20 miles southeast of Elsask. And Elsask is on Highway 9, north of Hannah, and it sits mm. right on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan. So that's kind of where my dad grew up. And uh, in, in, in their day, in their day, work was hard to find. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd just come out of, the, out of the dirty 30s, as they called it. And so they, they traveled around, and if they heard of work somewhere, that's, that's where people ended up. Mm-hmm. And he he had he was a veteran, so he'd he'd been through the war. And uh, my my oldest sister at the time was born in Saskatchewan. Then he moved to to uh, Enderby, Alberta. Enderby, Alberta, oh, okay. or not Enderby? Sorry, uh, uh, Darwell, oh. Alberta, which is is not about forty five miles out of Edmonton. And that's where I they were living there when I was born. But it, it was a short time after that they moved to the west coast. And in search of work. Hmm, you know, okay. Work was hard to find in those yeah. days. But so he grew up on a ranch where they, where they uh, or a farm, where they, they worked horses and put, put crops in with horses back then. Mm-hmm. And so the rodeo thing was always in their system from my granddad on, apparently. Oh, okay. And uh, so my Uncle Keith, he was the all-around champion in Canada, in 1962 and 1964 and rodeoed for many years, secretary rodeos. And so it was just, you know, it was in the blood mm-hmm. yeah. to, to, to rodeo. And so I started, how I started out was by riding my dad at a young age on his back. <laughs> oh wow! And when, <laughs> so when we did that too. Is I was gonna say, I feel like a lot of uh, rodeo kids started doing that on the trampolines <laughs> yeah. or like even on like the armrests or whatever yeah. or the couch. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, once we started spurring him in the, in the ear or something, <laughs> then he decided that maybe there was enough of that. So oh, that's <laughs> awesome. We went on from there. Yeah. Started like most kids in the boy steer riding and graduated to the amateur and novice bronc riding and then into the professional bronc riding. But it was weird because I lived on the West Coast and, and most of the rodeos, even though BC has several rodeos, uh, most of the rodeos for me at that time and little britches rodeos and and uh, high school rodeos there wasn't very many but mm -hmm. there was a few few like uh, high river little britches rodeo was and Innisfield had one and, and um, I think Didsbury was the other one okay. so there was only like three I rodeoed out of Port Kells BC for, oh, yeah. for a number of years uh, well, all through my, my major major wins. Oh, okay. You were down there? Yeah. Interesting. You joined the pros in 1966, and it took just one year to get qualified for the NFR. Was this a goal for you when you entered the pros, or had you thought that far ahead? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. In 19, 1966, what had happened in 1966 was in, in those – at that time – the CPRA, the Canadian Professional Rodeo Association, which it was called at that time, um, had what they called an amateur card. Mm -hmm. The amateur card allowed you to, if you were under the age of 21, you were you could ride in the amateur or the novice events mm -hmm. at pro rodeos, and you could cross enter. So I started cross entering in in 1965. I left school and went rodeoing. And that was, that was I, I remember Franklin Danes, and they were, I didn't remember this conversation, but, <laughs> but they were, we were in Simons Valley, which is just north of Calgary, at a high school rodeo. And I'd left school, and I was pre-entered in this high school rodeo, and I, so I drove out, by, I was 16 years old, I think, at the time, and I drove from, right across, to, uh, from the BC coast to, to Calgary for this rodeo. And that was that was a that was a big deal. It was a high school rodeo. Mm -hmm. I was entered in every event. They didn't have bull riding then. And uh, I won uh, all three riding events. I won the cow riding. I won the bareback riding. And I won the bronc riding. <laughs> and I won the all around. I won four buckles that day. Oh, and, wow. and, and a total of sixty four dollars. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's that's a difference awesome. today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so apparently, and I don't remember the conversation, but Franklin Danes, which is one of the Danes is from, from Venezuela, mm -hmm. uh, was telling me this story not that many years ago, actually. And, and he said, uh, we were all gathered around after the rodeo and they were discussing what they were going to do. Brian Anderson was there. He said, well, what, what's he going to be? He said, oh, I'm going go to go to uh, Saskatoon, go to college and become a vet. And Franklin, I forget what he said he was going to do. He, he ended up owning a casino in in, uh, in Red Deer, but oh, okay. they had Western Source part of that. But uh, and they they asked me, and I said, "Well, I'm going rodeoing." And they all their eyes bugged out like <laughs> he's going rodeoing. <laughs> so it was amazing to him the, how this story came to be was that I went ahead and was you know had a sex, successful. Uh, career riding bucking horses yeah, yeah. that's so <laughs> cool at what stage in school were you at when you left to go rodeoing half 10 half 11 oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what did your parents think um you know i think my dad 
from the beginning. Well, well, when I was born, he was working little bitty jobs, doing day day work for this this guy or that guy working mm-hmm. on places out there in Darwell, and he was actually sleeping when the guy when his neighbor come home and. And 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 because because you know the guys didn't go to the hospital back then. And they went yeah. And went and did their had their babies, and then the guys, oh, I got a boy or I got a <laughs> daughter or whatever, right? <laughs> so he was sleeping, and, and the neighbor come in and rapped on the door and, and woke him up, and he said, Jack. Hey, hey. He says, you know, <laughs> like this. Wake up! Your son's been up for hours. I got a boy. He'll be a bronc rider. Oh, <laughs> really? I love that. And so yeah, I, guess, I guess it was zoned in right from then that I was going to be a prom. Oh, that's so <laughs> awesome. That's so cool to hear. Uh, so I guess that's how it happened. And I yeah. mean, everything was directed in with the rodeo idea behind it. From You know, they used to balance me. They used to, my uncles would, would have me stand on their hands. Oh. And hold me in the air and lift me up to the ceiling, you know, and I had a pretty good balance. That's that's funny that you say that. Um, my sister-in-law, her boyfriend, his name is Justin Randall, and he's, um, I think he's a bareback rider, mm-hmm. and okay. he does that. They have a little son, and he does that with his kid, too. <laughs> <laughs> and cute. I've heard of people bull riding or bronc riding getting a ball and trying to yeah. stand on that ball and get your balance. Like Cole and Wyatt, like my boyfriend Cole Young and his travel partner Wyatt, they sat, they both stand on a ball, like a medicine ball, or not medicine ball, sorry, a yoga ball, and then they pass yeah. back and forth a uh, medicine ball, oh. and then squat mm-hmm. down, get up, and pass it back and forth, and that's how they practice their balance. Well, I, I think it's important. I remember one time Kenny McLean, you know, he was probably one of the greatest bronc riders out of Canada, and maybe in the world for that matter, and... Um, he was one of my heroes, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember him telling the story about walking down a rail fence, and whichever hand you held higher in the air than the other one, like in your balancing along, so yeah. you, usually one hand's lower and one hand's higher. And uh, he said, if the the hand that's higher, that would be the hand that you use as your free hand. Okay, oh, that's cool. I didn't determine that at all. Use that myself but uh i'm left-handed and, and everything i did was left-handed i mm-hmm. roped left-handed i r- r- held my uh bronc rein in the left hand and i rode bareback horses yeah. left-handed so wow <laughs> so each to their own i think but, yeah but yeah. it was interesting you know yeah balance for is sure in, balance is, is important in whether you're riding a saddle horse or or a bronc or a yeah. bull or whatever mm-hmm. yeah definitely or barrel racing. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be in the middle of that saddle. <laughs> it would be nice to see them girls stay in the middle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah We're all riding like banshees out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when when you were rodeoing, you won both the Canadian and the world title in, was that 1972? That's right. In 1972, you know, at that time we didn't have a Canadian finals, and so you were your championship was determined by the end of the year. The guy that won the, okay. won the most money, which each dollar becomes a point, mm-hmm. and uh, the same in the world at that time. It was the guy who won the most money. Okay, including on the national finals, everything you didn't. You may uh, may win the national finals, which I never did. Out of, out of eleven times, I never ever won that rodeo. Oh, 
and uh, probably one of my one of the the one thing that I didn't do rodeo mm -hmm. was was accomplished I should say and you know that was one I wanted to do and the other one was win an all-around championship in yeah. Canada and I didn't I managed to get that done. Okay. But, but I had a great career. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely looks like it. So what did you do to keep yourself focused? You're competing in uh, down south, and you're com competing up here very competitively, and you want to win both. What did you do to stay focused? I, d I don't think at the time, to be honest with you, that I, was, that I focused on winning a Canadian title. Mm-hmm. I think I was focused on on trying to win a world title. Okay. I had I had already won, and this is kind of what I did, to be honest with you. When I first started rodeoing, I thought I had things I thought I needed to accomplish before the ultimate goal. Of course, yeah. of course, the ultimate goal was to win a world title. But for me, I. Things were important to me that I had to win, win the novice bronc riding for Canada. Okay. So in 1965, I was riding novice broncs, and that's the first year that I left home and went trying to rodeo. So I was still just a, uh, a novice, really. And and I, and I would I would cross enter. I would enter the novice events, and then I would enter the open event in the bronc riding. But my goal was that I wanted to win the novice in Canada. Mm -hmm. So that was, a, that was you might call it a, a stepping stone. Yeah. And um, so I wanted to win the national, or the, the, the novice bronc ride in Canada. Well, um, that year I, I didn't. I, uh, Ivan Danes won it, and I, I, I believe he won it uh, three times. So what had happened in 1965 is I'd, I'd won quite a bit of money in the, in the open and I was getting close to like filling my, my card to the point where I'd have to become a professional. So I actually had to quit uh, entering the professional end of it. Oh. And just riding all the sprunks. Oh, okay. And then in, in 66, the first rodeo of the year in Canada in 1966 was Edmonton. Mm -hmm. And it was in the old Edmonton Gardens, uh, which was right across the street from the from then from now the Coliseum. Yeah, and uh, and that was the first rodeo of the year. It was a bold rodeo, and I so I entered, mm -hmm. and and they didn't have novice bronc riding; they just had the the major events. So I entered it, and I won enough at that rodeo to fill my card. So theoretically, I was I had earned my way into being a professional, but the rules had stated that because you started out that year, you can finish your year as in your novice event. Oh, okay. So I went that year and, and I managed to win the the novice bronc riding for Canada in 1966, and then in 1967 I won the Canadian. Yeah. And th these were all steps that I thought I had to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sixty-seven was nineteen sixty-seven was the first year that I actually rodeoed totally from one from the beginning of the year right oh, okay. through in the as a professional. Yeah. I did have my professional card in sixty-six though, where I went to uh, what they called the Big Four rodeos. All the oh, rode yeah. rodeos were over in Canada, and so so here I am. Like I I've 
you know, I don't have a job. Like, my job <laughs> is riding bucking horses. Yeah. Yeah. So I took out my card in the fall of 1966 so that I could go to the big four rodeos, which was uh, Walla Walla, Washington, Allensburg, Washington, uh, Lewiston, Idaho, and Pendleton, Oregon. And mm -hmm. then I went to Puyallup, Washington after that. And then the next one I went to was was uh, San Francisco. And uh, that was a long haul by yourself. Yeah. yeah oh, you went by yourself. I drove down by myself. It was 900 miles from from Surrey, B.C. to... to and I didn't have a clue where the Cow Palace in San Francisco was. It was actually in a place called Daly City. But I'm driving down there, and I, I, I turn off, you know, onto this, and I'm in like at Sacramento, and then there's kind of, the road kind of divides there and heads mm -hmm. heads to the coast, back down to the coast. And I, I'm driving along there, and I see this sign that says, Rodeo Drive. I say, well, that's got to be it. <laughs> so I drive off to Rodeo Drive, but I don't know, I was in Oakland or somewhere, and oh they had my. a Rodeo Drive. It took me a while to find yeah. a cow palace. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like us trying to get here this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the directions were clear. We're just... Yeah, because, yeah. yeah, you didn't have Google Maps or anything back no, then. No, we didn't. No cell phones. Oh, boy. No cruise control. No, no air conditioning. <laughs> About yeah. how many rodeos did you have to go to down south to qualify? Um, you know, it, it would depend, but I, um, I think I would, could say that I probably averaged a yearly between 75 and 100 rodeos a year. Okay. That would be so counting the Canadian rodeos as well. As well. Mm -hmm. I think the, the one year I entered, totally entered 113 rodeos, and that was counting the national finals to miles. Lots of miles. So you were living in southern BC, but you rodeoed in Alberta a lot, so you just you just were on the road a lot. Yeah, and I very seldom went home, actually. I'd just okay. stay in yeah. Calgary, and I had a friend there, a good friend that I'd stayed at his house for years and years, it mm -hmm. seemed like, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least you don't have to haul a trailer around, though, if you're... Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, but I did that, too. Did oh. you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I figured, you know, I, I, I really had this thing about, you know, I had always had a pickup with a little camper on it, and then we yeah. went, then we drove, uh, went to big cars, drove Buick Electras. There's one sitting out in the yard that was, that I bought right out of the showroom, and I got it back now, and I'm going to oh. hopefully someday restore it. That's oh, cool. And, um... So big Buicks, you know, they, they had huge trunks, big, comfortable cars, you know, big engines, and they'd cruise. They drove straight at 75. They didn't drive straight if you drove under 75, but oh. if you drove 75 <laughs> miles an hour, they drove straight. Nice. Oh. You got somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you could put four Bronc Riders in it, you know, with their yeah. saddles and everything, and. Yeah, I was going to say that kind of sounds like what even guys today look for is you need something with a big trunk. You need something that can haul a lot of people. Like even when we went to the Canadian uh, PBR finals this year, we had three guys with us and taking my Jeep, like there was no room yeah. for everyone's <laughs> rig and bag. Yeah. And they, that the finals, they all got a huge rig and bag. And yeah, there was no room <laughs> for any of that. Yeah. Bill Smith was really good at, good at, uh, at uh, getting everything in the, into the trunk, the the trouble with it was is 
when you got there, you had to search for your boot because one would be stuck up in a corner somewhere and your spur is somewhere else. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, even my, my boyfriend and his travel buddies resorted to just traveling in a limo because that was finally big enough for all their rig and bags. That'd them. be kind of cool. Fun yeah, too. They, he has some pretty cool stories about that. Yeah. What did you do before your rides to bring yourself into the zone and ride the way you needed to? Well, I drink lots of coffee. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Back in the day, we used to used to smoke cigarettes. <laughs> Take the stress. So you'd smoke a pack of pack of Winston's, walking back and forth. And I always had this thing. I had to. I always liked to get to the rodeo an hour before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go pay my entry fees, and I tried to pass that on to my kids. You know, like get your business handled, and then. If you, if you want, go have a coffee and just relax a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, um, I was really critical. I was a real critical guy. I, yeah. w- I was and mostly on myself, but I was also, you know, you can talk to some of my friends and they that rodeoed with me and said, boy, he was a moody little sucker. <laughs> you know? <coughs> all business. I was all business, and I probably took some fun out of it. You know, <laughs> I... I I was a perfectionist, so oh, okay. so it was never never good enough. You mm-hmm. know, you could have rode him better. You should have turned your toes out more. You should have got a little more drag. You should have prettied it up a little bit, yeah. and and you could have you could have done better. But uh, the the thing I always tell kids though about is is you know it, it's the same as horsemanship. The the important thing is to prepare to the position for the transition. So that's the change, right? Yeah. So when you're riding bucking horses, it's no different. You're you're riding on reflexes and feel, and and you after a while you learn what's taking place underneath you that you can't you're not really looking down at the ground yeah, where sure. the feet are, but you learn that that horse just landed on his right front foot and didn't land, and he's walking on his front feet. So you learn all these little things, and and so I tell kids when you're gonna if if you're committed. And and that's the start of it. You have to be committed and, and sort of like no rearview mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. You don't look back. You go forward. So you, um, when, it, when, it, when it came time to ride, I just made sure that, that I was going to do the basic things that I was required to do every time. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get into a rhythm of things. And and it just becomes natural uh, because you, you, it's it's well it's like muscle memory. Yeah, you know, things become muscle memory when you ride horses and when you when you do things with a horse in general. Uh, but it's the same thing to ride a bucking horse. There's there's rhythm there. So, but to feel it is a hard thing to teach. Yeah, so yeah. you can just do the mechanic the mechanical aspect of mm-hmm. it. You show that to kids when they're riding this is it so but what i always say to the kids is learn your event Mm -hmm. know know what's expected of your event what how they how it really works study that as good as you can and then for bronc riders and and rough stock event people and it probably goes on to even the tiny event people but um you need to to know how to ride Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm the winning and, and so this is what i'm saying is learn to ride first winning is next yeah you learn to win but you can't win if you don't know how to ride <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. so true mm-hmm. and so if so if if you 
worrying about winning all the time, that will get in your way. Yeah. And uh, and I found that getting in my own, and you know, it, it hit me too. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, you know, uh, there comes a time that you, maybe you're not having a very good year, you know, hard, you haven't drawn much, and uh, everything's, like in my time, horses were far and few between good ones. Mm-hmm. So through the 70s, the bronc riding was hard. It really was a drawing contest. So you were always working extra hard with the third best horse out <coughs> to try and make him get you a check. Okay. They just didn't buck as hard? Is that what you mean by Yeah, that? they didn't. The bloodlines are a lot different now, too, I believe, eh? Well, they, they, it, you know, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, I just admire it. I, I would love to ride today because I think... There would be a lot of money there for me. Would you like to get on Virgil? I wouldn't mind getting on Virgil. <laughs> Virgil get on pretty, any of them. Yeah. Just the fact is, is that they buck. Yeah. They buck. And 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 even if they they're out of line a little bit, like we got on a lot of out of line ones. Belly rolls, walking on their front feet, tossing their head back at I you. I feel like belly rolling would be one of the like even watching bulls. Belly rolling would be one of the hardest things to ride. Like in my opinion, that looks so tough. I'm with you there. I never <laughs> got on any bulls. I tried to keep my marbles in place. But, uh, <laughs> um, oh boy! I I helped lots of bull riders. I you know I rodeoed with some of my best friends were bull riders. John Dodds and was a great bull rider, and, and uh, Dave Garstead. They were ver- they're very good friends or were very good friends of mine and and uh, so I pulled lots of bull ropes but uh, I only seen a couple out there that I thought I could stay on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh so nowadays, like you can go on like either Pro Bull Stats or I'm sure they have something similar for horses that every Wednesday when the draw comes up, you could see what that horses or bull stats are be, would be right and how many buck offs they have and watch videos and analyze them. So how did you know how that horse was going to be? Was it just kind of what the shoot boss said that that horse was or the stock contractors or how did it go back then? Well, you got to know. You got to know most of the contractors over the years, you know, and, and through your buddies, you'd, you'd mm-hmm. talk to them. Well, yeah, I was on him over here at so-and-so, and he kind of kicked Eddie's belly and not got much kick. Maybe <sighs> shorten the rein up, see if you can yeah. hang on to him. And all these little little ads, add-ons would happen. And what I did when I first started rodeoing up for several years, I actually uh, documented my horses and rides. Mm-hmm. In a little, okay. I had a little book and I put down there how I had little pictures of how much rain he took and oh, everything. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and what I marked on him or if it was a re-ride mm-hmm. and if I missed him out or if I double grabbed or mm-hmm. all the little things were on there. And, yeah. and in the back of it, at least the first year I did this, was in the back of the book I had entry fees costs. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of it I had had what I won on that horse yeah so I knew through that I kept my own books mm-hmm. yeah. that's, to, that's to yeah. I, I thought it was very good and I mm-hmm. think I got that idea from Winston Bruce actually nice I've heard of barrel racers doing that too yeah. like when you go to a certain rodeo you mark down oh the ground is this way at this one yeah. and then etc mm-hmm. so back then um I know like a lot of the guys get on like this drop barrel or like the I guess what is it like a spur like they have like the okay a, like a, not spur, a spur board, board. Yeah, yeah the spur board the <laughs> spur board I, I wanted to say that but I didn't want to sound dumb but I'm pretty sure it was called a spur board right. so did you guys do the same thing back then did you guys get on 
that kind of stuff or a buck and barrel yeah we uh as kid as a kid we just happened to have four four big fir trees in the back of that half acre lot and my dad had took a 45 gallon drum and i mean one of them heavy 45 <laughs> gallon drums and somebody welded some horseshoes on the ends of it and, and we had four ropes on it and then between my dad and every everybody i could con into pulling <laughs> them ropes and we'd We'd ride that thing for hours and That's hours. That's awesome. Hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good practice. So <laughs> when you were down going through the states, did you stop at like practice pins and stuff, like to get kind of focused in that sense, or were you just getting on what you got on at rodeos? I don't remember anybody having practice stock. Oh, okay. Except me. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, well, actually, that's not true. Actually, Larry Mahan come to think of it, if I remember the stories right, he had a one-ton truck, mm-hmm. and, and, and and he hauled the bucking horse around and practiced with it. Oh, He had his one? own practice horse. I think he just had the one that he yeah. rode. Oh. We had, uh, we had nine oh. Okay. Oh. practice horses. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but the old mare was a kind of a Hancock bred mare, a black <laughs> mare, black pepper, Makes we called sense. her. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've, I've rode some nice hind clock horses, but they, they have that tendency, I guess. Yeah. It's like uh, as soon as they they reach eight, they're great horses. Seven, eight years old. Yeah. We have a couple at uh, at the ranch there, and it, that seven years old, they matured into great horses and never bucked since. <laughs> Weren't as bad as them uh, gasoholes. <laughs> they take them to when they were 12 years old before you could... How about some perfect possibilities? <laughs> what do you think about I that? I think they're fine. I've rode several of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I used to I used to practice a lot. And uh, and I think that helped me when I think about it over, you know, think back. Mm-hmm. Um, there was times I'd, I left Calgary. It was 640 miles yeah. to Port Kells from Calgary. Yeah. And I drove that Rogers Pass, and, and they didn't have the Coquihalla Highway at the time. It mm-hmm. was right through the canyon. And I could make it in about 11 hours. Yeah. And uh, I'd go home, and I'd get my black mare. We had a little practice pen. We we rode on turf. Oh, okay. Hills. You know, it's a, it was a very low area there. It's mm-hmm. on sea level, maybe even below sea level a little bit, right at that particular area. And uh, so we had a had a big oval arena that was about 100 by 200. We had two chutes, one one for each delivery, right hand out and left hand out. We had a rope and chute there and everything. We we had little rodeos right there, just fun rodeos, yeah. just, just guys practicing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'd rope, we'd bulldog Ayrshire cattle because there are a lot of lot of uh, dairy type cattle on on the coast, mm-hmm. and. Uh, dairy calves we'd have a few of them around everybody trying bulldog and rope and yeah those sound like fun, fun days time. yeah fun days yeah every kid that that was in on the west coast that thought they wanted to be a rider or a bronc rider or whatever ended up at the highland ranch in port <laughs> kells <and laughs> i love my, that my dad had, <laughs> my dad helped lots of kids over the years mm-hmm. uh, get rodeoing he li- he loved it yeah that's, that's awesome. awesome yeah <laughs> Um, so when you were, uh, doing all this rodeoing, what kind of stuff did you do to keep yourself healthy? And 
you know, I, I didn't, I, I, here, I was one of them guys that I was blessed with a, with a strong body and, mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about my weight or anything. And, yeah. Um, we'd, we'd, uh, so I, you know, a little bit, I, I thought maybe I should be lifting a weight or something or <laughs> not, but as far, to be honest with you, I never have to work out. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the best thing I could do, I was wound pretty tight, so just make sure I got my, got stretched. Oh, okay. I'd, I'd kind of just stretch before I rolled and mm -hmm. make sure my ham, I pulled a hamstring playing touch fo football. Oh. So I guess we did <laughs> stay in shape a little bit. We used yeah. to play touch football Place, at the yeah. winter rodeos. Okay. So I know right now, like nowadays, they have a huge sports med uh, team and everything at every single rodeo. Did they have something similar to that back then? <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Get up. Get up. You're all right. <laughs> Get out of the arena. Don't be laying there looking like that. <laughs> so no one there to help if like or check and see if you had a concussion or that was kind of something that was. Uh, that's that's in the modern world. Yeah. I mean, if you got bucked off in my day. Mm hmm. You crawled under the fence or out of the arena as fast as you. However, oh, you really? could get out of the yeah. arena, you were embarrassed. Oh. Yeah, there was yeah, no laying there. You no. didn't care if you <laughs> spit your teeth out or you knock the air out of yourself. Yeah. You got out of the arena, <laughs> and, and whether your shafts were dragging along behind you, you know, you didn't care. You just got out of the arena. It was you. You were supposed to be tough and gritty. Yeah, yeah. cowboys, right? Yeah, and uh, you know that's changed through the whole world. And 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 uh, from from us, uh, what they call us guys, born in the millennials. No, we're before we're that. millennials. <laughs> you guys are millennials. Anyway, yeah, baby, the boomers. baby boomers. Yeah, yeah. Baby boomers. You know, we were we were taught to be, have be tough. You mm -hmm. know, if you're gonna do it, toughen up. You know, yeah. I remember Dale Trotter. I used to, you know, and he he won the Canadian bareback riding seven times. This guy, you know. And and a, a trapper that was his nickname, trapper. He come right up out of this, out of this uh, North Country, and uh, and you know when we rode bareback horses, quite often when you when you popped your hand free at the whistle, because we rode with bind too, you mm -hmm. know, hard handles, and uh, you'd get a knot on the back of your hand from hitting the front of your rigging when you took it out. Mm -hmm. And I'd have this knot on my, on the back of my hand, you know, and they'd just be hot. I mean, they hurt. Yeah. And I remember him. I'd be standing there holding my hand like, <laughs> oh, this is what I get. This hurts, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. And Trotter, toughen up, and he'd just stick his hand finger oh. right on that spot, <laughs> oh, you know. Oh, that would hurt. So, that, I mean, that's, you had to, you, there was pranksters in those days. Yeah. Like, you had to be careful somebody didn't hook a wire with you and catch you on fire or, <laughs> or something. Everybody was pull pranksters in those different. days. Do you ever tie people's chaps together and stuff like They've that? They've done too? it all. Yeah. <laughs> They've done it all. I think they still do that nowadays sometimes <laughs> in the grand entries and stuff. It's oh. funny stories. <laughs> Makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's nothing like the NFR. Like, at the national finals, everybody rides in the grand entry, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, you got the one guy that carries the flag and the other three or four six of you are um, however many of that state or that province would ride ride in there and and you were responsible for looking after your saddle horse you know because mm -hmm. they'd gathered these horses gosh who knows where they got yeah. all these horses right <laughs> and they're just barn full of these horses for yeah. people and you go down there prior to the grand entry and get ready and saddle your well i think they saddled them 
they'd have them all saddled in, but you had to tighten up and okay. and uh, maybe put the bridle on or something. Mm-hmm. <coughs> you know, some of them guys didn't even know how to <laughs> ride a saddle. <laughs> you know what? That doesn't surprise me. I feel like there's still quite a few that do that nowadays too. It, it was it was funny, you know. Like cowboys come from all all walks of life when yeah. you think about it, and uh, I I remember some of the bareback riders that absolutely rode around there with two hands on the horn oh really <laughs> around there. we used to laugh at him you know because i mean we were all kids that grew up riding horses you know yeah and of course if there was a bucking if something was bucking when when we were kids they all ended up at our place oh. you know and yeah well jack he can handle it and get that one going for you or whatever <laughs> yeah. his kids you know yeah. <laughs> sure. it's like my dad goes to goes to the Vold auction sale in Pinoca back in Vold Jones Vold. Harry Vold was still uh, still auctioneering at the at, at that time. Oh and, wow! And so my dad he rides in this little mare and you know he's riding her pretty tight to the yeah. tight to the leather. <laughs> and Harry says to him, Jack, he says, "Can a kid ride that horse?" My dad just kind of had this look about him. <laughs> My kids can ride him. Oh. <laughs> 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 well, we were all riding Bronx, right? Jerry, Jer- uh, Harry said, okay. You know what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> he knew what he meant. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so during your rodeoing down in the States, we'll end up here. Do you have a favorite rodeo? or? You know, I, I think I've, over the years I was asked, that many times i don't know but um it would really be hard to to just pull one out and say that was my favorite rodeo probably the ones that were your favorite were the ones that you seem to do well (laughs) yeah that makes sense good luck in that arena yeah like uh, st paul oregon i won it three times okay red deer alberta you know they used to have a summer rodeo and a winter rodeo and it was called the silver buckle rodeo you know and they beautiful buckles Really? Mm-hmm. And I won it three times. And Houston, Texas, one of, I would say one of my favorite yeah. rodeos, but I won it three times. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So how many buckles do you have? You know, I, I don't know that I, I really ever got an accurate count, but um, somewhere around, I'm going to say 65 buckles oh, I won. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I won 17, 17 trophy saddles. And I, I sold some of them. I kind of regret that, but I I, I think I still have uh, have nine. Nice. But I did part with some. Do you remember yeah. your first buckle you ever won? I do. First buckle I ever won, and and you know I was a boy steer rider, right? But we went, and it's one of the only amateur rodeos, to be honest with you. That it was a non-sanctioned rodeo, or it was just a rodeo, open on, rodeo? an open rodeo mm-hmm. on Vancouver Island, and. Uh, I think I went to it three times, 1962, 1963, and 1964. In 1962, I won my first buckle, and it was in the bareback riding. Nice. So did did it take you a little bit to get your first buckle then? To to get that one that you probably, yeah. I mean, I used to wear one of Uncle Keith's buckles until I won my own. And yeah, that, that was the first one I won. Awesome. So it wasn't one of those silver, fancy silver buckles, but I still have it. I yeah. still have yeah. them buckles. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. And speaking of saddles and buckles, there's a row of saddles back here. Can you tell us about your first saddle sitting there? 
Well, the first saddle I won, I don't have, but it, I won it for the Central Alberta Circuit at the time, and uh, I believe it was 1965. Okay. And it was made in Edmonton. And then in 1966, I won the Novice for Canada, and it's a Riley McCormick saddle I have okay. there. And then I have my 67 championship saddle out in my trailer, actually. <laughs> and then uh, the 1972 saddle, Canadians there in the World Saddle, and the, the 1976 World Saddles here. The, one, and the, the saddle, which is a Bronx saddle, mm -hmm. Well, I want. I actually tied for Pendleton, Oregon. But I oh, went okay. to Pendleton, Oregon, twenty years. Oh wow! I, oh, I wow. went there for just about oh, wow. twenty years. Well, from nineteen sixty six till I retired in nineteen eighty four, I went to yeah. Pendleton, Oregon for the rodeo. Right? Yeah. Wow. Letterbuck. That was a lot of fun at the Letterbuck rodeo. <laughs> cool. uh, yeah. uh, got to be very good friends of the Spear brothers, and uh, consequently, I ride my my. Cowboy saddles that I ride are, are both Severe Brothers saddles. and uh, But this saddle here is a Hamley, and I rode a Hamley Brock saddle for my entire career from okay. 1965 on. And uh, nowadays, these guys, you know what? they got to pack an extra saddle because they break them. Oh, really? They're just not made as, huh. as strong as them saddles were made. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and then the little one on the end here that you're looking at, yeah. the little pony saddle, that was my first saddle as a kid. I was six years old when we got my first black pony, a little Shetland pony, <laughs> meaner than meaner <laughs> a hair. And uh, oh yeah, he was a stud for quite a while. And okay. I think kids prior to us having him had maybe teased him a little bit. He'd come with his ears pinned and his oh. mouth wide open. My great-grandmother wanted to shoot him. Oh, she really? said he was going to hurt me, but I, I got by Blackie, and we we did everything with Blackie. Yeah. made him buck, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. And pretend he was a rope, rope horse, pretend he was a jumping horse. We did everything. Oh, wow. Hook him to a to a little pony cart, and, yeah, he was, he went through the entire family. <laughs> Blackie did. Yeah. And I don't Sounds know how like old he was, but, yeah. Sounds like a special horse. We'll, we'll definitely have to have pictures up um, with Mel and his saddles that we're talking <laughs> about here just to give you guys all a visual. Yeah. They're beautiful saddles with a lot of memories and a lot yeah. of history. I always wanted to ride that one, but Marjorie, my wife, says, you aren't riding it. You don't need to ride it. You've got lots <laughs> yeah. of saddles to ride. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And a woman's but there's always a good right. story. There's a good story yeah. about, about the one saddle here. Mm -hmm. The 1976 World Saddle. In... in 1976, 1977, and 78, the rodeo was sudden death. They were all in still in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. um, but for those three years, the PRCA decided that they would, would have a sudden death rodeo. See, we weren't making, like they're winning almost $30,000 a go around. Like at that time, maybe in 76, they might have been up to $500 a go around. <laughs> wow. So what yeah. was that kind of equivalent to nowadays? Well, well, they're doing, well, like I say, they got, well, they, they win more in one go around than I did the year I won the world in <laughs> 1972. <laughs> I won $26,812. It was a record oh, for wow. the most money won 
in one year mm -hmm. wow. in saddle bronc riding. That was a record, and from that on, they, they broke it, of course. Yeah. But, but I did have the record for one little while. So was that a lot of money then? That was a lot of money. It was, yeah. you know what I figured it was? Uh, you know, when I first started in 1967, my dad had a good job. He, he was a stevedore, our longshoreman, on mm -hmm. the waterfront where you unload boats and everything. Um, and that job, I want to say, paid roughly $3.58, if I remember right, an, mm -hmm. an hour. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And the first year that I went to the national finals, I won like twelve thousand something, if I remember right, somewhere in somewhere yeah. around the twelve thousand. Yeah. And and uh, that was about a year's wages for so wow. so so rodeo was about equivalent to making a living as a laborer, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, and now, and you know, the other thing was, in nineteen sixty six, I paid. $2,800 for a brand new Ford pickup. Wow. <laughs> you can't buy, I you cannot, <laughs> you can't even buy a half a, half a pickup for $28,000 no, no. or $28,000. Yeah, $28, you can't even yeah, buy yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah. So, so how do you compare it, you know? Yeah, it's um, hard. It's, it's really hard to, mm -hmm. to that say. That would have been a lot, would have been a lot of money then. Yeah, it would have been. You know, if you're buying pickups for $2,800 and you yeah. won 26000 that's, yeah, they were yeah. from anywhere from $2,800 to $3,500, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and in 1975, I remember buying a new one-ton dually and give $5,000 for it, so. Oh, man. Yeah. You can see how it jumped from Now there. it would be $105,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was a diesel, I guess. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so get, yeah, getting back to this, uh, this saddle here, um, it's it's funny because it was sudden death, mm -hmm. and uh, and when we went to the national finals, I had a buddy from Australia, Jimmy Dix, mm -hmm. and he he like was runner up or third in the world in bareback riding, and he's a little short guy with long arms. His arms hung down to his <laughs> knees, so he give you that like he's almost built like a monkey, you know. Oh, <laughs> but anyway, anyway, he'd always help me. Yeah. And I'd help him in the bareback riding, and then he'd help me in the bronc riding. Mm -hmm. And so we go through there, and, and it's sudden death, and I have no idea. You know, I'm trying to trying to do my best. And and, and they had some weird rules that year, like like uh, if you missed a horse out, they deducted 10 points from you instead of... So it wasn't okay. an automatic disqualification? It wasn't an automatic... There was no markout rule? No. And I remember I had silver tip of... Uh, and John Macbeth was judging that side. I remember, so I because I hold kind of held it against him. But any, <laughs> anyway, yeah, you know, he he just called it the way he called it. He didn't he wasn't cheating or anything. But but Silvertip would come down the gate, so it was a left hand turnout gate. Now he's in the front chute, and you know, and those arenas are narrow a lot of times, and and you can't get the gate out of the way. And it, so instead of turning my toe out. To, to hold him, I had to turn it in, or I had to run it through the gate. Yeah. And he and he he deducted ten points from me right, oh. right there. <laughs> so you know you can re-ride these things yeah. the rest of your life. It, mm -hmm. it it really, I think the bad and the good all average out. To be honest with you, yeah. when it's all said and done. But anyway, so ten go arounds, we come down to the last horse, and and you know you got all these thoughts going through your head. 
Because mm-hmm. now you're trying to win. Yeah, you know yeah. how to ride, so you're thinking about how you win. And uh, it seemed like to me, and it probably was false, but it seemed like to me that if you jumped off, if, you, if the whistle blew and you did the flying leap off your horse, that they'd give you a little more money. A little <laughs> more points, right? You got some yeah. show points for that. <laughs> you know, and, and like Monty Hansen was pretty good at doing it, and, yeah. and Bobby Brown was really good at doing it. So I've got... Uh, Southern, what was that horse's name? Not Southern Comfort, but Southern something of Cotton Rosters out of California for my last horse. Pretty nice horse. Mm-hmm. And um, stalls in the stalls in there. In fact, this thing's on video, which is very, very few. You can't find very many stuff of us, us guys in our era yeah. where you can find movies or videos of it right mm-hmm. so you're kind of lucky to have that but and so southern pride that was the name of the horse southern pride so he he stalls in there for one thing and i just punch him in the guts <laughs> yeah <laughs> like <laughs> you gotta go i had yeah, a fr- yeah, i had sure. a free roll right yeah. there saying go ahead and i <laughs> i didn't want this i didn't want another horse this was the one i needed to have yeah and i didn't know how close i was in the running for the work for to win the world i i knew i had a a, a shot but mm-hmm. I, I i thought it was slim and maybe none and uh anyway he goes out there and bucks and i do the flying fling off him you know and my i'm a disaster like i land on my i land out there flat on my gut and these guys land on their feet and th- oh, yeah. dip, dip their hat and dismount. yeah 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 the, yeah, the flying dismount yeah. the hey bro boys they're pretty good at it too and even the young ones are doing it good here now but anyway i figured they were giving points for that so i said heck i'm i'm all out here this is the last go i'm going for it you know and i bail out of there and it's pretty sloppy but i Kind of did it, you know, mm-hmm. come back, and, and uh, we're all standing around there, and the bronc riding's over, and, and here comes Jimmy Dix running down the alleyway, and, and he talked really funny. Mm-hmm. Jimmy was a character. I loved him. He, he, was, he was a very <laughs> good friend of mine. He said, yeah, yeah, hey, big bull. He said, you win the bastard, you win the bloody bastard, he said, you know, yeah, yeah, you did, yeah. I said, what, what, now, yeah, you win it. So, so I'm, 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 I'm saying, well, I don't know, that's great, really, what, you know, and we're all bouncing around there, and, and, uh, and so they get down to it, and, uh, uh, what was her, her name, I'll think of it here in a minute, uh, the secretary, any June June Ivory was the secretary, mm-hmm. and she was a hard old girl. Boy, she'd tell you, you know, you get out of my office, and uh, boy, she was a real sticker. You have to be tough to be in that position. Yeah, <laughs> dealing she, with she, you boys she, all the time. She, that's right. She <laughs> she was tough. And uh, anyway, so so they get down and they said, yeah, they they they've added it up, and of course, of course, it was the most money won at the national finals. That mm-hmm. that means. I beat Monty Hansen mm-hmm. theoretically by two cents. <laughs> oh, oh wow. wow. I won the world by two cents, yeah. ex- except they got feuding over it, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, no, no. He said, because their, their percentages was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. We had won exactly the same 
percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. But see, I'd want a couple go-arounds, and when the accountant had worked out all the splits and the money and all this, it worked out that he'd come up with an extra penny. Oh. And he threw that penny into the guy who won the go-around. Oh. So each go a uh, first and a go-around paid a penny more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and so I got these two pennies because I'd won, <laughs> I'd won two first, and yeah. Ani, Monty had won two thirds or whatever it was okay. to equal forty percent or whatever mm-hmm. it was, just to make it simple. So anyway, long story short, they decided that, and they had no. They said, "Oh, there'll never be a, there'll never be a tie." Yeah, you know. So they had no provisions in the rules, in the mm-hmm. ground rules, for for a ride-off or go back to the guy that's mm-hmm. the highest in the average or whatever it might have been or the highest score or whatever. Yeah. So there, there was nothing. They said it never happened. You know? <laughs> well, first year they have it, it happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. So we ended up being co-champions, and we, we got everything equal. Okay. Yeah. We each got a gold buckle. We got every, you know, each, any of the, the uh, – prizes or yeah. whatever or bonuses we they just doubled them and okay. we we got it exactly the same that's yeah, awesome that yeah cool. but the saddle see they'd yeah. already had one made of course okay and so my friend Hugh Chambliss was a rodeo administrator at the time and so that would have been part of his his to do he'd, he'd have to get all this stuff organized so i went to his name his nickname was rooster he was red Ed. Mm-hmm. and i said rooster we all had nicknames back then you know yeah. I, mine was big bull and so forth but anyway uh so i said hey rooster because i still was thinking i wanted to rope calves you know? yeah and i thought you know i'll get this saddle made <laughs> and i'll get it like, because they made them all for bulldoggers, you know, they're yeah. all 15 oh, or, yeah. or 16 inch seats in these mm-hmm. trophy saddles, and they were no good to us little bronc riders. <laughs> so I said, You need, you need to, can you let Monty have that first saddle, and I'll wait for the yeah. other one and make it a 14 inch seat? Yeah. So he said, I'll see what I can do. I don't know. You know <laughs> so he gets back to me, he says, Yeah, I got it. But he said, it's 14 and a half inch seat. He said, I didn't want it to look too much off. <laughs> <laughs> so this seat, this saddle, this saddle right here, see, I saw it was designed for me. Yeah. I wanted, that's why I wanted to ride it. <laughs> but yeah, so that's good. where that went. That's yeah. awesome. That's a really cool story. And going, you said you had nicknames. Where did you get your nickname from? Sean <laughs> Davis nicknamed me. He, 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 the, and his name was Snort. <laughs> Buck, bu- or Buck Snort, and Mahan's was Bull Mahan. And mine was Big Bull because there was a guy at Calgary, an old Warren Cooper at the time. He was the original announcer from the Calgary Stampede. You know, Coop, he'd, he'd, he'd say, and out of shoot number 16 in the North American <laughs> comes Melvin Big Bull of the Sar Sea. And Melvin <laughs> Big Bull, they, yeah, I mean, this was a guy. This really, oh this boy. guy was real. Yeah. And man, he'd hit the dust like just wipe out, you know, yeah. every time. But you see, they'd figured out you, your entry fees at the time to enter Calgary was cheaper than if you bought tickets for every day. Oh, my God. Really? So they just enter. That's oh so wow. they get to go to the Calgary Stampede. Yeah, that's awesome. So the big bull came from that. Okay. So my name was Mel. So uh, you yeah, know, I became Big Bull. That's great. <laughs> that's yeah. a good story. I'd like it to be something different, but that's the truth. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> 
could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what we'll name the episode, Big Bull. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, all, the, all the old timers, all the guys my age, would know who you're They'd talking know, about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if you think of nicknames for me and Steph, we need nicknames. Yeah, you do. We need nicknames. Yeah. So going back to not really having too much stuff on video, I know there is a ride on video, uh, Reckless Red in 1967. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that ride? Well, that was probably a game changer for me, to be honest with you. You know, that was on, um, I think it was CTV, if I remember right, hmm. or CBS. CBS, I think it was, actually. Anyway, they, they uh, had televised Cheyenne, Wyoming in 1967. Mm-hmm. I was 18 years old. If you're working on days, <laughs> 67 to 48 would say 19, but my my birthday's in September, so it, oh. I was still wasn't <laughs> yeah. I wasn't 18. <laughs> That's important. Yep. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so so I go to Cheyenne, and um, I'd been there in the novice bronc riding in 65 and 1966. So it's my first year in the open. And you get, you got to realize that back in the in the sixties and the seventies, scores were they would call an average fifty hmm. because it was out of a hundred. So half half was that okay. they'd call it average. You see, where now they're marking on the upper seventies to the, in the nineties, where I think they should be mm-hmm. because there's supposed to be the best in the world mm-hmm. yeah these guys so they should be be at the top of the deal that's the way i look at it mm-hmm. anyway i what i had my first horse was my first horse was mexico kid 209 mexico kid black horse hard to ride mm-hmm. hard to ride on mark 53 come back with a little mare called Dipsy Doodle. <laughs> <laughs> and she was new. Nobody really knew her. And I marked 67. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I think I won something in, in the go-around okay. with the 67. But that gave me a total of 120. Mm-hmm. So the odds of, you know, the odds of, when you think about it, maybe 265s, that would be 130 points. That would get you back to the short go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but anyway, I made it back to the short go mm-hmm. in eighth spot Okay. with 120 points on two. And I draw this horse, 5B8 was his number, Reckless Red. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew him. <laughs> he, he was new to the world. Even the Dipsy Doodle horse that I had, I remember she had the same type of name okay. or same type of number. Yeah. Uh, it was 2B6 or whatever her number was, but it was a B in, in the middle of the two numbers. So it was, probably came from the same outfit originally. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at that time of the year, in, in 1967, it was Casey Tibbs, one of the famous, most famous bronc riders ever out of the Dakotas, was making a film called Born to Buck. Mm-hmm. And there was a man... I, I thought his name was Bob Schumer, and it might have been Joe Schumer, but anyway, he was a North Dakota stock contractor, but he was a, a nov for the novice, novice, novice uh, or amateur rodeo, mm-hmm. we called them back then. And uh, 
so he had a bunch of horses at this deal and somebody had got on him. In fact, I think it was a Canadian Jack Phipps that got on this horse during this filming of this thing up in, in uh, Pierre, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And they, they uh, is Pierre in South Dakota or North Dakota? Well, I, I always get them in Dakota <laughs> mixed up anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so Harry Bolden must have got wind of this horse, and he buys the horse. He paid $2,500 for him back huh. in 1967. Like a pickup and truck. this horse, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a lot of money, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And he brings him to Cheyenne and puts him in the short go, you know, which is kind of strange because yeah. you know, you got Big John, you got Sage Hen, and you got uh, Jake, and, and all these famous horses in there, yeah, Red Pepper, and yeah, I can go on. And uh, but no, I don't draw. I don't. <laughs> I don't get to get on Big John or you know one of the ones that kind of with sure money type horses. Yeah. If, you, if you did your job, uh, I get this one called Reckless Red. I have no idea who he is. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm searching around there, and, and uh, so I go to Harry Bold and I said, Harry, what's this? What's this? By God, he said, I'll tell you. <laughs> he said, I I just brought this horse down from. From the Dakotas there, I'd give $2,500 for this horse. You just might win the go-kart <laughs> on this horse. And that's all I knew about him. No, no, how much rain to give this horse. <laughs> yeah. What's he like? Where does he go? Or No, not a clue. You just like getting on a colt. You yeah. don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> right? So I got a good friend of mine to help me on because this horse is really nervous. It's 100 degrees in Cheyenne this day. Ooh. You know, 90 to 100 degrees hot. And this horse is sweating in the chute, and his bottom lip's just, just going up and down. He's just yeah. rolling his bottom <laughs> lip, just going blah, 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 in there. And he's just looking left and right and just, you know, where am I? He just felt trapped, that yeah. horse. So I get Tommy Tate to help me, a really good horse guy hand. And uh, so he's up there just talking to this horse and easing him. We get him saddled and everything, and he blows out of there. And, like, this is something, like, had never happened before. Mm-hmm. And he really, really bucked. Yeah. And and they marked me 86. Well, I, actually, the one judge handed me the book said, you want to market yourself. <laughs> oh, really? I, I was 18 years old. It was my first year on the rodeo. 100 points. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was my first year on the rodeo trail, and I'm being as humble as I can be. Yeah. You know, yeah. And get out of there half shy. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mark 86 and, and win the average, win the, win the diamond buckle from Cheyenne. and. That's Cheyenne awesome. was a pretty good rodeo for me. I yeah. I come back the next year and was runner up actually. Okay, that's okay. awesome. Uh, so for horses, did you prefer like the shorter, snappier ones, or did you have more fun on a bigger, longer strided horse? Um, you know, I don't think I don't think it ever mattered to me. No. No. Um, I just wanted something that would you know kick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kick up. If a horse jumps and kicks, when he kicks, that's what helps you. Yeah. Okay. If he doesn't kick, if he kicks at his belly or something, he, he, you really have a hard time getting your feet active. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be hard to get your timing correct, hey? Yeah. 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 We'll definitely have to uh, share the video of that yeah. because I have seen the video of you riding Reckless it's Red. pretty nice. I yeah. heard that's <laughs> one, that one studied in some colleges. Yeah, yeah. well, Sean Davis, he, he taught, taught at, uh, in, uh, what was it, uh, in Idaho anyway. Mm-hmm out of college there and um he used it quite a bit during his s- s- deals and he considered it very good and yeah 
And uh, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, there's faults in it if you want to fault it, but uh, like I say, there's nothing, nothing's ever perfect, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. You can always, you can always, I should have done that better, you know. <laughs> yeah, for whatever. everything. I was hard on myself that way, but I was also yeah. hard on the people who rodeoed rodeoed with me if they asked me a question i was <laughs> probably too too critical because i just tell them how it was you know no yeah yeah you didn't have your toes turned out you know you had slack in your rain you didn't <laughs> you didn't get an old drag in your feet your <laughs> you looked all bound up your hand you know whatever yeah but i you know i was doing it sincerely to help them mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so what was the highest score you ever received the highest score i ever received was 91 points and I was on a really nice little horse <laughs> called McLean mm -hmm. the same day that Doug Bold had transport, and this is in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, I forget the year, um, and he marked 95. Oh, wow. <laughs> so how did you feel when you received that score? I just laughed because I thought it was too many points for me. <laughs> really? <laughs> You're so humble. <laughs> yeah, for it, sure. It was too many points. And, and yeah. But, you know, was it or wasn't it? Because, you know, we're riding, we're supposed to be the top level riders, so... So, I mean, who's to say it's right or wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, they probably went the right way. I mean, as far as who won the rodeo and yeah. where I placed was probably correct. But uh, mm -hmm. um, I thought they were high scores that day. Hmm. Okay. But, you know, you, you go through that. And I went to rodeos where they doubled the score just to make it sound good and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, yeah. They, oh, were, okay. they were trying everything to to please the please the crowd yeah and, you know it, it <laughs> is a pr it is a production <laughs> sometimes a with those bigger rodeos they do up those scores a little bit yeah, yeah. well yeah. it is it's a production you know yeah. and, and and you want it you want it good and uh yeah i got got involved with the end of the other part of the of the rodeo world running shoots and different that and it makes a difference for judging you know i judged a few they're hard it's hard it mm -hmm. that, uh, being a judge would be very hard yeah 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 so uh, while you were rodeoing, you recorded an album in 1977. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> I did. I, I, you know, when we rodeoed, like Chris Ledoux and I, and John Edwards and Monty Hansen and even Donnie, Donnie Gay and a whole bunch of us would always get together. And, and you, c you can appreciate at the, at the winter, what we call the winter rodeos, which was... Uh, you know, they're all during from January to March. Mm -hmm. and, and big stock show rodeos is what they were from Denver to Houston and all the way to Phoenix. And, and so we, you had probably hours to kill time. Yeah. Like we could, we could have been doing something smarter. <laughs> but, you know, we like to play music. So yeah. we'd hang out and play music a lot of nights, you know, for wee hours in the morning. Yeah. Um, and I always liked to sing. So back in the, I think it was 1968 before I even started to try and figure out how to play a guitar. And I still not good at it, but I, <laughs> I beat on the thing and we have a lot of fun. Yeah. So I had wrote some songs and, and pretty much songs that, uh, reflected, you know, there, some of them kind of personal, I guess. Mm -hmm. and, and, and some of them were about friends and but it all associated around what was happening in the world of rodeo. And so so I called my first album Rodeo Life and Friends mm -hmm. because that's what it was. the songs were about. Yeah. Was, was it 
literally that. And so then we come back and, and uh, I got some sponsors for it to sponsor getting it recorded. We recorded it in Edmonton. I think it was called Sundown Studios or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there was, I think, 10 songs on it, and I wrote them all. Well, they were out of meter and everything else because, mm-hmm. I mean, I just sang them, right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't have a band to have to <laughs> worry about keeping up with me or anything. Yeah. So we just played them, and, and so it was hard for me to do it. And I had uh, Keith Hitchner produced it for me, Highwood Records at the time. And it was a 24-track studio. Like, this was, like, you go in there and you can't believe it. You know, you hear mm-hmm. it back and you're like, wow, I got hits, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, it, it was a lot of fun to do it. And and, uh, and that was in 1977 that yeah. we recorded at a mall and, and uh, had some pretty good artists do the work on the album, you know, because yeah. it was a long play album back then, you know. And so, so that was my ex- move into the music world. But really, we just, you know, I put it out there for people that, that uh, had heard me sing and mm-hmm. wanted it. You know, I, I didn't expect it to be a world <laughs> Although, to be honest with you, the one song we did cut a song off, at, a single, what they called a single at that time, and you'd have a uh, little 45 they were, and you'd have a A and a B side to it. And the A side, they played it quite a bit out in uh, in Eastern Canada. Like, okay. I want to say Nova Scotia in that area. Yeah. They liked that song, and, and I actually had a couple checks come. Not, not, the, <laughs> not the kind of checks that Elvis Presley and some of them people yeah. got, or George Strait, but the, um, or Tom T. Hall. But uh, I did get royalty royalties from it. That's awesome. Yeah, little cool. checks at one time. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah. Did you ever do any any shows or just with friends? Um, we used to go to the Ranchman Steakhouse in Calgary. Oh, yeah. oh I love Ranchman. Was the number one honky <laughs> no. tonk and 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 at the Calgary Stampede, Harris Dvorkin at the time would would uh, Wayne Bold was always him and his band was always doing the Ranchmans and and they ha- would have uh, Wilf and I, my brother. We'd we'd, uh, we'd get to do about two songs or three songs each, and we sit there all friggin' night long, waiting to do our songs. And by then, the band was usually looped, and and it wasn't that much fun, to be honest with you. And and I just I looked at that scene right there, to be honest with you, and I said, you know, this is not for me. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna be drunk and doing all this stuff. It's just not for me. Yeah. I like to sing and I like to play music and I enjoy music and. And so the bar scene just really wasn't it. And mm-hmm. I'd done a few of them where you'd go to somewhere and they'd say, uh, I'll get you to get, come up and do a song. Well, then the band didn't know the song. And they oh. sp- and, <laughs> yeah. and uh, it just wasn't fun for yeah. me. Yeah, but sure. we still do music. In fact, uh, at the Pinocchio Stampede every, every, oh, okay. every year, Ivan Danes and myself and, and, and some other friends of ours always get together and we play down in below after the rodeo kind of hmm. between the between the rough stock or the rodeo events and then then the chalk chalk hogging races. Okay. We we're under the grandstand and we, we <laughs> just sing. That's really fun. cool. Yeah. yeah. We might just have to come watch the party. I think we just <laughs> might have to make a trip I've been down wanting there. to try that one too, yeah. just because it's not try it riding it, but go, go to watch. I feel mm-hmm. like it's a mini 
Calgary. It's honestly it, it's our so biggest, fun. It, it's the biggest CPRA rodeo in Canada. Mm-hmm. I prefer going to Pinoco over Calgary, honestly. I think it's a really fun rodeo. Plus, it's a little smaller and a little more interactive. Yeah, very like much that. so. Like, yeah. there's free camping there. You can't mm-hmm. believe the campers All over show the up town. in there. It's so <laughs> fun. Everywhere. Yeah. I lived in Pinoco the f- one year when the Pinoco Sampi went through, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Too much fun. The local, yeah. locals go there and park their RVs. A month ahead of time, so they got a oh, place yeah, to park right. for the rodeo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So did you write some songs with Chris Ledoux on that album? Because like, I'm a big Chris Ledoux fan. Uh, no, no, but uh, but Chris and I, you know, he, uh, by the way, he won the world the same year I did in 76. Mm-hmm. So, so, like, I knew Chris well, mm-hmm. and uh, we... we rodeoed together we stayed in the same places in different times we weren't steady compadres going down the road but but we always went to the main road same rodeos and so and he would be selling these hate track at the rodeo and and uh and we'd always get together and jam yeah that's awesome yeah you kind of already answered this one but we wanted to ask you if you're still writing and playing music you said you already you do play music still at Pinoca. Yeah, well, you know, I got blessed with my 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 uh, miracle wife. I call her my miracle. <laughs> so Marjorie's a, a, an excellent musician and knows everything about music and harmony and everything else. And her and her kids, what made uh, this last album that we did a few years ago um, was that that just about all of it. All of the music on there was done by the, uh, our family, mm, so wow. Margie's kids and myself, and 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 yeah, Al and Christy has some places in it, and he, he produced it for us. But in in general, you know, all the kids and Margie, it, so it became a family family thing, and and uh, and that's w- what we think is important. We I think that keeps families together, and mm-hmm. and so we promote that aspect of it we love to i've got now where I, where i don't really sit and play by myself anymore I, i'm relying on my wife to be there mm-hmm. more than not because <laughs> she remembers what what i sing and what i don't say <laughs> and oh what my. i do good and what i do bad so oh, yeah. yeah but we still do some we still do we, we still still do some shows you know we 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 are open to doing them put it that way mm-hmm. depends yeah, on the atmosphere or what it is yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Very cool. So we just talked about um, your past life and kind of what you were like in your younger days. And now we're going to move into who you are today. Okay. And we're really excited about that. So we want to kind of talk about uh, how you're such a well-established horseman and respected by a lot of people. So we want to know um, from when you were rodeoing to who you are today, uh, did you start training colts while you were rodeoing, or did is that something you kind of came upon later on in life? No, we we used to. Uh, Bill Smith and I used to always take a horse, a young horse each, mm-hmm. during the winter months, and so we would always be taking uh, some barrel racers' stall that should have been theirs, and <laughs> because we we didn't need horses <laughs> with us, right? But yeah. we we. <laughs> <laughs> we hauled horses to the winter rodeos. Okay. And uh, we, we just most of the time they were pre-started before we went there. So, but they were still young horses. And, yeah. And it was good for them. It, it and it gave us something to do during the days we weren't weren't 
riding, mm-hmm. we always had the horses to do something with. So, so we had done it. Yeah, I, I always wanted to be a horseman. Mm-hmm. So, like the first job I ever had back in 1965, when the rodeo season was over in Canada that year, I got a job working for a guy by the name of Jerry Going, who who owned the that year he owned a horse called Holly Ford Jinx, which was the Canadian champion cutting horse for not that year. Really? <laughs> and I got a job with him, and I thought, boy, I'm going to learn some stuff on yeah, how to yeah, ride these sure. horses. I ended up feeding cows mostly. <laughs> he, he, was kind of, he was also into the racehorses a bit. So mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, breezing some horses out at about minus 20 below Ooh. Fahrenheit. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he said just pick that telephone pole way out there and just kind of take a straight line and how'd your face feel <laughs> <laughs> i froze to death you know i was i was from the west coast remember you know and yeah nice i wasn't and warm. used to that yeah yeah but but anyway that's kind of you know i always wanted to and you know i i heard about ray hunt through actually through my brother and through some other guys that i rodeoed with that that knew him well, mm-hmm. and I was. It took me about three years before I could actually get to a Ray Hunt clinic. Okay, but prior to that, I was I was already riding some horses. But it it didn't. I wasn't serious about my starting horses much until till about nineteen oh the, the late seventies mm-hmm. into into the early 80s because I retired in 1984 so I was I was riding some horses in 1980 on I was starting some colts Mm -hmm. and it was still a lot of it was still on hearsay about what Ray did so um, I just did it through you might say secondhand information yeah and uh, even after I seen Ray I, I went to several several different kinds of clinics from less Best Timmons's clinic, Morgan uh, Libert, and I went to some lady I don't remember her name that was a uh, a racehorse or not a racehorse, but a a reining horse trainer. Okay, that uh, was sitting like second or third in the world at the time in the reining. So, you know, I was searching all the time, mm-hmm. and I remember freezing my butt butt off standing many times at an indoor arena watching somebody work a horse, trying to figure out what they were doing. Yeah. That's cool. So you just did, you end up putting it all together, and and uh, even even Ray Hunt stuff was was brought into picture better from somebody else that told me well that's what he meant. Oh okay. You know, and then I said oh yeah okay yeah that yeah. makes sense because I ain't that bright <laughs> see so <laughs> so I got it to go that way. Yeah. And and so it was about 1980 really is about when I started kind of you know I had a job. A day job, and then I would throw my saddle in the back of my pickup. Uh, and I was living back down at the coast at the time, and and I would go to two or three different indoor arenas where somebody had a horse board at where mm-hmm. they were boarding, and I'd work that horse for okay, a, like about a hundred bucks a horse. Yeah. Then. <laughs> oh wow. It's got expensive, like a cost yeah. a cost of having one around and everything is getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's getting costly. Okay. It was a hundred bu- hundred dollars to to break the horse, type thing. Yeah, they okay. paid for the feed and yeah. all that mm-hmm. stuff, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I got that. I got to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. good. It was good. Yeah. So your program today, do you still base it on some of those original fundamentals you learned from Ray Hunt, 
or you kind of built your own with all your experience? The philosophy that I got from Ray Hunt, and I think it's overlooked a lot because I don't think it was ever just, I don't, people didn't say, this is the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so I've said to myself, and I pass it on to others, that this is the philosophy. The horse is right, he's never wrong. And you have to, that's a big, big drink to swallow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because how many times do you have your horse say to you, I'm not going to do this, <laughs> you know? And so we have to figure out why don't, why don't he want to do that? Yeah. Obviously, he don't want to do it because somebody made him do it. And so it's like training horses. I'm really, hopefully, I keep trying to do it better and better and better and better. There's no end to it. Mm -hmm. We, as I often say, we're only scratching the surface yeah. of what is, is capable of going with you and the horse. Horse is very intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but if you look at the fact that he's right and he's never wrong, you'd say, well, how are you coming up with that? And I'd say, well, think about it. He's a prey animal. You know, everybody's pretty much established that the horse is a prey animal. And if there's a cougar around, he's scared. He, yeah. He'd go to the water hole. He's, he's nervous to take a drink right away because he doesn't know whether the cougar's his instincts that are bred into him by nature has told him to beware of himself mm -hmm. because somebody might eat you. Mm -hmm. So so anytime we act like a cougar around him, he's going to get worried. Yeah. You know, and how often do we lose it, you know? Yeah. I still lose it, but I really try not to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, it, there's a saying that when knowledge ends, violence begins. Mm -hmm. And so we can take all of our tools that we use with our horses and turn them into a weapon. And and that's the secret of not turning it into a weapon. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're not kicking him. You know, I, I watch it, especially with kids. They're kicking. The horse already going. They're still kicking. Yeah. yeah. And and this is what my point was was nowadays is my point is, is you asked him to do it. You've requested, you put a request out there. Don't demand him to do it, but figure out how to get him to cause him to do it. Yeah. Rather than, than make him do it. That way, he will learn how to do it, opposed to being made to do it. And, and the more, if you make him do it, you'll have to, you probably have to make him do it every time. Yeah, for sure. And so then he, he then he <coughs> kind of becomes a, kind of comes a slave then, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. You get you know you uh, you make the wrong thing difficult, the right thing easy. But how difficult do you make it? Yeah, you need to offer him a good deal. Mm -hmm. Offer yeah. him the best deal you can. You know, you can always add to it. Mm -hmm. But remember, if you use all you got, you got nothing left. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's it, and, and do you have to do it the next time? You know that. So so it's a thinking game. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Thinking game. Totally. Yeah, for sure. And every horse is different. Yeah. Every, well, they're just like you and I. Exactly. I mean, we're all we're all individuals, and uh, you can still approach them all the same way. Mm -hmm. But they'll let you know. You know, it would be no different than a guy going to a dance, and 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 all the girls are standing there, and he asks the one to dance, and he says, "Come dance with me." You know, saying, "I can dance with you." you know? <laughs> 
And, and then he says, would you, maybe he goes to the next one and says, would, would you give me the pleasure of having this dance with me? Mm-hmm. You know, and so, so your presentation mm-hmm. to your horse has to change. Yes. And that, that's, that's what, so, so who does the changing? Not the horse. Mm-hmm. The human has to change. Yeah. You have mm-hmm. to adjust to fit the situation and be smart enough to change you know, give it a give it an honest go, and then if it's not working, fix it up for him. Yeah, yeah. I really like how you said that, Mel. Thank you. Get into the trainer's challenge. Yeah, sure. I think so. Okay. <coughs> so, would you like to tell me? I haven't really heard a whole lot about the trainer's challenge, and maybe some of our guests won't have either. So, would you like to start by just telling us a little bit about it and what it is? Yeah, well, I, you know, uh, I, I don't know if some people have heard of up here in Canada, they would have heard of the, the main event mm-hmm. where, where it's a trainer's challenge. And what they've done is they, they'll have three people, three guys usually, come together and uh, they'll each start with a fresh horse. In other words, they'd be a two-year-old, maybe three-year-olds mm-hmm. that haven't been rode yet. They maybe they're probably halter broke and, and, you know, had a wee bit of handling, but as far as being asked to be saddled or anything like that they haven't done yet so so it'll, in three days and then they'll on the, on uh, usually three days maybe four four works on these horses roughly mm-hmm. and they go through it through an obstacle course of some sort and the man that manages to do that the best will will be the will win the challenge so so I was involved in I, 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 I've been in, I was in three of them all together okay. in my life. And uh, one was at Red Deer at the Trainers Challenge there, and Doug Mills beat me. Okay. And I, I know I was runner up. And then we went to Brandon, and the first year they had it at Brandon, we drove over there for, for next to nothing, and just just to get it going for them. And and uh, I was runner up at that one. Oh. <laughs> and then they invited me back to Brandon for one, which I won. Yeah. And I said, well, that's enough. I've done enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> now, do I agree with them? Partially, I agree with them because it gives us an opportunity to teach horsemanship and, mm-hmm. and have, you know, share, share our thoughts with, with people. The point that is hard to, hard to say I agree with is that there's a time limit. Mm-hmm. And I've been taught through Ray that there's no time limit. Yeah. Yes. So, so we're out there and we do these things and we, because we've started enough cults or whatever, yeah. we know where they're at mm-hmm. or we can, we, hopefully we can read them yeah. where they're at. Yeah. And so we may be where we should have spent a little more time. We don't, mm-hmm. we just get it kind of, kind of working, Good kind enough. of kind yeah. working yeah. and yeah. go to the next thing and build on it. And and then I mean this thing can explode, but yeah. but you're right on the you're riding a, a thin, thin line, line there. Yeah. Yes, that's true. So so that's the that's that's where maybe I don't agree mm-hmm. with them is because you know what? Um, when you're in a competition, competition takes over. Yeah. I'm a competitive guy. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try and win. That's yeah. what, that's what I tried to do all my life. So yeah. I mean, winning is everything, right? Yeah. Who wants to be the second, second guy, you know, runner up? So anyway, we get out there. <laughs> We're driving out there, and I, I'm all 
what am I doing? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> what am I doing going out here? Um, Margie, she says to me, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't know. They're all kids out there now, and I'm getting <laughs> long in the tooth here. Maybe I shouldn't be doing <laughs> this, I'm trying to do this in front of people or whatever. Yeah. And, and she said, well, what did you do when you won the world? I said, well, I was going to win it. You know, you tell yeah. that to yourself, right? So I said, well, I'm going to win it. <laughs> <laughs> so we go out there. And uh, so we have to, we pick the horses at that particular mm-hmm. deal. They'll, they'll run in maybe, I don't know, they had a, maybe half a dozen or ten head of colts. So they were all two-year-olds mm-hmm. from a few different owners. We put them all out there. And, and you could pick pick the horse that you want. Okay, I'll take that one and I'll take this one. I'll take the yellow one or I'll take the bay or yeah. whatever. And then they'd ask you why. And I said, I don't know why. I just, ah, it's kind of cute. I said, little, <laughs> little, little, little blue roan. Yeah. You know? And I said, ah, she's kind of cute, so I'll take her. So, yeah. so everything's going great. Like, so we, we have, uh, forget, no, I think it was, we had three, three one hour sessions, I think is what it was Mm -hmm. out there, if I remember right, to have these horses ready to go. And then the fourth one would be out in the big arena. They hadn't been out in the big arena. You're starting in a, in about a 50 foot round pen. And then you go to the big arena and it was quite big and there's all these obstacles and everything there. So so in the three sessions that you're in the in your round pen, you're got trying to introduce all these obstacles. To, you know what the obstacles are, basically. Um, so like they'd have a bridge to cross and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And teach them a rope and drag a, drag a pole or whatever. So you get them used to your lariat rope. You get them used to crossing the bridge and this and that. And that's kind of the, kind of the, kind of the deal, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I, I, I work this mare, and I, I said to Margie, I said, I'm kicking their butts. Like, I, <laughs> I know, I know, like, I got this thing. It, this horse is giving her. I like, yeah. we, are, we are going like crazy ahead <laughs> here. So, well, wouldn't you know it? They called me up. Uh, this is before the, I'd had two hours on this horse, yeah. and I was oh, kicking wow. these guys' butt. I was way ahead of them. Yeah. I knew I was. You know, you could yeah. tell. And, and uh, they come, oh, Mel, your horse is sore. I oh. said, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. she's got a, her knees blew up. So we go out and go out to the stall and look at her, and sure enough, she's got this big knee. But she's not lame on it, hmm. right? And they they said, well, the, or so the vet's there. Yeah. And well, we don't know. She's banged it somehow. And, mm-hmm. and uh, anyway, you know, she might have hit the panel when I was working her in the round pen. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, it blew up. So um, they're saying, well, it's kind of your choice to go on with her. But I mean, she might go lame. Lame. Yeah. Might be like a lifelong injury or something if you kept pushing. Yeah. Or, yeah. or else she'd go lame during the next hour I worked her yeah. and then I'm out of the deal and yeah. no options Yeah, and they said well your option is you can start another one and we'll give you an extra half hour I think it was an extra half hour <laughs> for the two hours you missed <laughs> yeah, for, the, for the two hours I missed so I've got yeah. an hour and a half basically that I can wow I can I think that's what it was yeah and so okay I said well I better you know that's no good can't take a uh horse with a puffed up leg out yeah. in front of the public anyway so we'll, we'll start another one so they bring in this other little 
one, and uh, she's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Seemed to be okay, you know. By now, all the obstacles are in the arena. Yeah. And and I haven't, you know, so I saddled her, get her saddled. That, that went pretty good. She bucked around there a little bit with mm-hmm. the saddle, if I remember right. And so I finally ease around there, and I get on her. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, you know, I think I had an, I think it somehow we had an extra half hour or something the next the day before we went into I think it oh, was okay. a sort of three and a half hour if I remember right how, okay. how that worked anyway I know I had her in the round pen two sessions for a little bit anyway yeah and and so I'm I'm trying to remember what's all in the obstacles you know oh I gotta remember this and I gotta <laughs> remember this and you're carrying on and you're talking and the whole deal that I I I always believed in was Tell the people what you're doing. You yeah. know, don't just do this. Act, explain it and see if you can actually see them comprehend. What can you? Did you see a move there? Mm-hmm. This is what I wanted you to see or whatever. So I'm trying to teach because I thought that was the important part of it. Yeah. Anyway, I get on her. She's going around there. Got her trotting around there pretty good. And up and across the bridge we go. And, and I'm just talking to these people. And pretty quick, she steps off that bridge and blows the plug. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like hung out there, out oh, of balance. No. Oh, and I'm no. going, oh, crap. This is not People good. can hear you on your mic. Kaboom! <laughs> Down I go. So you got that headset oh, on, right, with yeah. your little mic there, and, and it's on, and my glasses are hanging off oh, one ear. No. I get up, and the glasses are hanging on one ear. This mic's gone somewhere, hanging around my neck. <laughs> and I get up, and you know, you could have heard a mouse. There wasn't a, you could have heard a pin drop yeah. in the Serena right then. The little grandstand stands yeah. full right there around the round bend. <laughs> my wife's down in there with a long face, like scared to death. Oh, my. And she's almost turned white. Oh, my God. She's, <laughs> like, you know, she's thinking. So I gather myself up, get this headset put back on, get my glasses kind of in place. And, and I look, and this little filly is not two steps away from me. Yeah. yeah. I walk over there and rub on her. I'm kind of getting a hold of myself. <laughs> I'm just sort of sitting there, and I don't say anything for a minute. It's just silence. Yeah. And then I say, you know what, guys? This isn't the first time I've been bucked off. And I know you're wanting to laugh, and that's okay with me. Well, you should have seen them. They, that grandstand about fell down there laughing so hard. Margie was rolled up in a ball, laying on the ground, laughing, holding her gut. I mean, that's how bad they couldn't stand waiting any longer to laugh. (laughs) And I got back on her and the way she went. Yeah, that's awesome. So when it was all said and done, so I had another half hour, I think it was, is what it was. That was an hour and a half okay. I could have had, but I was done in an hour. That's all she could take. Okay. Put her away, and, and I come back the next session. I think it was just a half hour, and I'm trying to think, what haven't I done with this, Billy? Mm-hmm. Like, hardly anything, but, you know, like, oh, yeah, there, she put her nose on that barrel. That's good. Yeah. And I forget what all the things was, and forgot to swing the rope or whatever. And, and anyway, I go through the, so I'm the first one. Yeah. I draw it first <laughs> to go into the, into the, uh, into this last event, you know. And I, fr- I think we had a half hour or something to go through our deal each, and uh, we had to lead them through first. So mm-hmm. I had my flag with me because they weren't very halter broke, you know. Okay. So I'm leading her, and I got that flag, and pretty quick, this little filly's just hugging to my shoulder, mm-hmm. and we just 
walk through the first thing and up over the bridge, and I just kept a walking, and she walked <laughs> up over it, and they had a, a friggin' uh, uh, parachute laying okay. out there. Well, parachutes got a little loops in them, you know. That's a stupid thing to have. Yeah. In. She could have run a foot through that. No kidding. And she's smelling that and going to pawn it. No, 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 no. <laughs> keep going, keep going. I get her to go. And we go do all the deal, the saddling and in the circle and the picking up the feet and everything. She's great. And uh, saddle her up. Got a loaf of circle both ways. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> you know, I can get I can get the walk and the trot, but now am I going to get the proper lead? <laughs> and the, you know each yeah. way. And by gosh, if she didn't do it for oh, me, wow. you know, and I was done in 15 minutes. I put her through all the thing, pulled the, drug the post, did everything wow. you could possibly wow. do. And I'm saying, well, I'm looking, and I said, well, there's 15 minutes left or whatever. And I said, you know, this filly doesn't need any more obstacles. I said no. the other guys, I know they're kind of cow horse guys. They're gonna they're gonna probably work a cow on their on their colt, you mm -hmm. know, because that's what they like mm -hmm. to do. So yeah. I said, but um, I'll just share some horsemanship with you. So so I sat down on the on the ground, sitting flat on my seat, right on the dirt, and this filly's got her head right down on the ground with me, and I'm just rubbing her. And, mm -hmm. and this is, I mean, I, in two hours, this is what this filly's doing yeah. with me. Like, it's unreal. So then. I, I, I get her to rest her foot on a pole. <laughs> she did it in about five minutes. Yeah. That's awesome. She rest on the pole. Yeah. Not off it or mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. And every time she'd rest it there and I'm just waiting for her to rest it there, they'd clap. People oh. on the ground. <laughs> and of course then she'd take it off. And oh no, you guys gotta have some patience. She don't don't yeah. don't clap just because she put it there. Wait, wait, yeah. wait. Because she'll leave it there until I tell her not to. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, they they didn't get that, but they <laughs> they didn't. And I said, well, what else can I do? You know, and I'm stumbling around dreaming, and mm -hmm. Margie's freaking out. Like he's gonna he's gonna blow this thing. He's gonna do something <laughs> yeah. stupid, you know. And uh, so, which I probably did. And so there's a 45 gallon barrel there that I forget what we had to walk close to it or put their nose on it. I think that's what mm -hmm. the deal was or something. So I went over there and I jumped up on the barrel. And I take her around the barrel and make her stand there beside the barrel and get on and get off her on the barrel. Okay. I said, you know, you might get old someday and you you need a <laughs> yeah. need a platform to get on your horse, your <laughs> hips get sore or whatever, you know. And they give me the money. That That's so awesome. Yeah. So do you ever find out what happened to that horse and what she ever became to be? I I don't because I I was never back in that country other okay. than I I did a couple of clinics out in Manitoba that year but uh, I never had seen the people that actually owned them horses again hmm. so I don't know what happened to them. Yeah. Oh, okay. What year was that? Eh. Was that twenty twelve? You yeah you know I can't remember the years that sounds right maybe somewhere yeah. in there. Okay. Yeah. So pretty recently either yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just. I forget. think I seen a picture of you sitting on the ground yeah. petting that horse somewhere. Yeah, yeah that's I, one was, I, I think it was on. Been or, been on a few times. But yeah. Uh, anyway. So when during this challenge, like when you're doing these trainers challenges, it, do you alter your training at all? Like, how do you adjust to doing? Yeah, it? that's 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 what you find a little bit troubling in them yeah. because you're because we're because of that time frame, right? You're rushing. But in general, it's I don't do a lot different at home other mm -hmm. than it, I'll take longer to do it. Yeah. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, probably make it more secure on yeah. each thing that it's pretty, s that they understand it good. Mm -hmm. Before you move on. Before you move on. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Good. But I'm not a big guy. I'm not big on ground school for my horses reasons. Okay. I'm big on ground school for the purpose of observation. Okay. You can understand and learn movement from it. Mm-hmm. For the, for the human, I think it, ground school is good as long as they understand why they're doing yeah. ground school. They're not just I'm 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 circles. I totally <laughs> hate the terminology of of uh, of desensitization. Okay. You know, when you're doing when you're working on sensory programs, that means the senses of your horse. It's a very sensitive horse, and why would you destroy any of it? Yeah. And uh, so I, I, it's a miss. It's it's a wrong phrase used for it. Mm -hmm. I, I I think I know what they mean, but but when you say you know, it's, it's just like another one, I, and I used this for years, uh, to disengage the hindquarters. But you know what? That's not disengaging them. That's engaging them. Mm -hmm. Like as so they're facing the up to you, kind of? Like well, you know, when you want your horse to look at you, so you yeah. want him to step his hind end out away from you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so his hind end moves away from you, and his front end shows up looking at you, right? Yeah. We, I used to call that disengaging the hindquarters, but you know what? That's not disengaging. That's engaging yeah, the hindquarters. Sure. So yeah. already, <laughs> you're already you're starting, you know, so I've changed. So, so, you, so you see how horsemanship is endless. Yeah. You it know, is. and when you get, my, it was Buck Brandman who brought that to mind to okay. me. Okay. And yeah. he's absolutely right. I you love know, his it, documentary. Yeah. He's absolutely right. You yeah. Mm -hmm. You're engaging the hindquarters. So, yeah. that, so guess what you're getting to do? Operate your horse's feet. Yeah. What do you need to do to get your horse to work? Operate his feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And they say even getting your horse to really think and stuff, you really want to engage their feet and get them moving their feet, right? It's all about feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's all about feet. A lot of times you cause them to move their feet. And, uh, you know, you want to do it. Eventually, the outcome, what, what I'm after anyway, is to do it from the mind through the body down the legs to move the feet. But a lot of times you've got to move the feet and then it engages the mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then eventually you have the mind that engages the feet. Okay. Yeah. But y it may go go in reverse to start with. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was watching a a training video and one of the biggest things was to get your horse to think was to get them switching directions with their feet so you would get them to engage their hind end and face up to you so then you keep doing that quick and that would get their mind moving and their feet moving and getting them paying attention to you. You got to do it. Quick, uh, not so much quick. Mm -hmm. It's the motion you got to keep. The, the, you know, you've got, you've got, uh, you've got them engaged. Mm -hmm. So don't lose it. Don't let it fall out of there. Yep. You know, keep that energy flowing. So it's not necessarily fast, but it, it's to keep the mo motion going. Yeah, you want to keep the moving. Your mo okay. movement. Yes. Don't lose your movement. Don't lose the motion. Yeah. And and a lot of things fall into uh, into that when you're lunging a horse on on a lead rope in a circle. It's when when you have them step across in the hindquarters. If you lose the momentum right there, you won't get them to to load their hocks. They'll mm -hmm. they'll they'll go around there, but they won't tip back. Yeah. So mm -hmm. so it, but it's an emotion uh, of, of if you don't do it right at the see timing. Yeah, feel timing is. and balance. It, it yeah. ends up being everything. And it's a big thing. Like I remember when I first came up here, uh, I learned a lot when I lived up when I moved 
here. And uh, I remember my boyfriend would be like, you, you don't lunge a horse right. And I'd be so offended. I'd be like, <laughs> what do you mean I don't lunge a horse right? I know how to lunge a horse. But there's so much craftsmanship and so much horsemanship that goes into just lunging your horse and getting that ground night, like the ground movement nice. Yeah. And it is a lot of horsemanship, that's for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when, when a horse lunges. You ever watch people lunge a horse? What is, what's the horse doing 99% of the time if you watch somebody lunge a horse? They're trotting. They're trotting and they're leaning on the, on the lead rope. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. kind of a, not paying attention. Or looking yeah. to the yeah. outside. Or yeah. looking to the outside. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so you haven't got that horse hooked up with you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you're, 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 you're just causing him to do something. So he does it. He, he'll do it. He'll run around there all day long looking outside. He's just waiting for you to say that's good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so he knows how to survive it. Yeah, right? for sure. But it not might not be fun for him, and I'm not sure anything we'd ask him to do is yeah. fun for them. But, yeah. but I think we can make it as easy and as good as possible yeah. for the horse. And, and I think that if we cause that to happen, um, the relationship between you and the horse and the possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's if for you sure. if you make them do it, your end is not endless. Mm-hmm. It's probably ended. Yeah, you want to ask them. Yeah, yeah. So, when did you start teaching your clinics, and what's your main focus in your horsemanship clinics? Good question. Um, I started doing some of these horse clinics um, back in the nineties, I guess, actually, mm-hmm. and I had a pretty good run of it for a while uh, from. Uh, probably early 90s on, but um, all of a sudden, it was hard to fill these clinics because there was a lot of guys mm-hmm. out there doing it, and I thought I had a jump on them in Canada, but, mm-hmm. but really, you know, it's still, it was hard to do, but, my f- but I've sort of changed the clinics, you know, I have a, I have a, sort of a ground rule or a ground, what do you call it, an outlay of what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. you know. But um, I always leave it up to the horse yeah. when I go there. I don't really know where I'm going to start or what I'm going to do. But but um, I'm, I'm, I'm on the, I, I really teach a lot about rhythm now, mm-hmm. about, I, I feel like, okay, nine times, most of the people that come to the clinic aren't going to start their own colt. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not going to teach a, a lot on training, mm-hmm. on the training end of it, but more on the connection of it. Yeah. So where I can have these people start sitting in the right place and getting their own posture looked after ahead of, because, you know, if you're the leader, mm-hmm. you need to know what you're doing. Yeah. <clears throat> so you need to be in the position for the transition. Yes. Yeah. So get yourself prepared to the position to do it before you even think about doing your horse start thinking about where you got to be what you got to do and how you know and then observe it okay yeah here's the hardest thing <laughs> observe <laughs> remember and compare mm-hmm. i like that a hard thing to do but yeah. it's a life thing yeah if you yes. think about it that's what we do in life you observe remember it and compare it you'll mm-hmm. say well that isn't as good as the last time i'll come you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah or I remember this situation. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever. You observe, remember, and compare, right? 
Well, we're lucky I, we have phones for that these days. Those barrel racers, yeah. we can go back and slow-mo our videos and say, yeah. oh, my hand went there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As long as you're, if you're out of time in your strides mm-hmm. with your horse, which I see so often because they're so worried about kicking him to make him go fast. <laughs> 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 that's personally that's personally what I think, you know. They're kicking, the, knocking the air out of him with both feet, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that that isn't it, you know. <laughs> and and the other thing I see see a lot happening, and I don't get it. Like I rode some racehorses myself in my day, and I understand how the elbows work and mm-hmm. the push on the reins and drawing this. But remember, a racehorse is leaning on the bridle. You teach him yes. to, to push into the bridle and we want our we want our horses soft in the bridle mm-hmm. and responsive, right? And so so I see them kind of do this jockey type thing where where they're where they're bending their elbows and then push their push their fists out toward the horse's ear and then they bring them back to themselves. Well to me that is go, stop, yeah. go, <laughs> I stop. I agree with that hundred be- percent. Because what I see happening not just not just is that doing that, mm-hmm. but their seat's doing that. Yeah. Yes. So every time they come and they sit on their horse, they get off him, they sit on him, they get <laughs> off him, sit on him, get off and sit on him. So he should be going fast, slow, yeah. fast, slow, yeah. fast, slow, fast, slow. At least that's a response. I want mm-hmm. that on my horse. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I'm sitting there, I just want to move my seat posture mm-hmm. to cause my horse to move. I don't want to kick him. Mm-hmm. I don't want to let go of my reins. I don't want to pick my reins up. I, when my seat changes and there's intention and, and life comes into my system, I want my horse to move. When I take it out, I want him to stop. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I like it when I can just start to sit and I can feel my horse just start to slow down and stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's important when you yeah. go to the first barrel, maybe just sit for a split of a second mm-hmm. and then go again. Yep. You know, that just made him coil up and get around it. Definitely. Yeah. So um, you've done a lot of things and seen a lot of places in your life, but I don't know. This one, this one's just different. <laughs> so I have to ask about this too. But we did find out that you were involved in the movie The Revenant somewhat recently. <laughs> Sorry, is it Revenant? Revenant. <laughs> what is it? Revenant. Uh, I don't know. What oh, it's called. Revenant. I thought it was Revenant. Yeah, something yeah. like that. It's a Revenant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, I'm gonna redo that question just because we. Screwed. So can you tell us a little <clears throat> bit about your role in that production? Well, it wasn't that much, really, but, <laughs> <clears throat> you know, working in the movies, it's it's an interesting thing, and you got to have some patience if you're going to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll put, put that out there. Um, but, no, uh, what happened was I happened to be at, uh, at an auction sale one day, and I had about three or four days' growth on me where I hadn't shaved my <laughs> face. And it was just, if I remember right, it was not long before Christmas mm-hmm. that I was at this auction sale and I was looking around there to see, you know, I could maybe buy some stuff, mm-hmm. which actually I'd bought, which were, were sitting on right here, these chairs. Oh, but nice. <coughs> I like these <laughs> chairs. They're yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Mark, uh, oh, Nugent, mm-hmm. come walking through there and John Scott, I seen John Scott there and of course, I knew John Scott. He's a, he, he looks after all the horse, horse events in most of these movies in Canada. Yeah. He has something to do with. And if he, if he didn't, the people that do had something to do with John, Dodd, John uh, Scott before they got into the movie industry. <laughs> but anyway, he's, he's the guy that brought filming t- 
to to Alberta and Canada, mm-hmm. basically. Anyway, so I see John there, and he never said nothing to me, and and uh, so Mark he he stops me and he says, "Hey, if you can grow a beard, if you want to work on a, we've got a movie going <laughs> that's Revenant." He said, "If you want to work on that, if you can build a uh, grow a beard, you could maybe get get some work on this movie." Yeah. So I said, "Okay, yeah, you bet." You know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> like I'd worked on another one prior to that a few years back. Okay. And uh, so so I kind of knew uh, mm-hmm. the ins and outs about working on the movie. And uh, anyway, so yeah, so I grow this beard. You know, I start growing this beard and. And I, I'm down at Crana Roberts at the time riding horses, training horses out of their facility in Lacombe. And I'm thinking, you know, I'll make a little money on this movie deal, you know. Because it's pretty, it does pay pretty good, especially if you're uh, you're going to ride a horse. Mm-hmm. If you're just an extra, that don't pay that great to okay. just sit in the crowd. But yeah. but if you're going to ride a horse and something, that may, that creates you into being a special skilled extra. Yeah. yeah. So that's a different paid level. Yeah. Are you like a stuntman? Yeah, well, <laughs> it's even below the stuntman, oh, but okay. stuntmen get more than that. But, and, you know, and I know all these guys because half the guys that were chuck wagon racers or whatever okay. uh, and bull riders and so forth have ended up in the movie industry in Alberta and, and British Columbia. So, so yeah, so I got a, they, they put me on there, dressed me up and as a, as a French uh, uh, trapper. Mm-hmm. And this movie was a bunch of, about a bunch of trappers and everything that actually it's based on a true story out of the Dakotas, actually, mm-hmm. where oh. they where the government had hired these these uh, trappers to come in and, and kill off the beaver in that country mm. and so forth. So that's that's how it. And, you know, in those days, uh, trapping was a big, big business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fell in love with all the Appaloosas that were in that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Appaloosa fan. Okay. <laughs> well, well, it was, it was, it was, uh, we sat around more than we did anything. You know, we'd ride through the little fort or whatever. And, and uh, I think the exciting part was, uh, for me, was we went up into, into a treed area. Mm-hmm. Well, like a lot of it was done right in Canmore. And then, then, uh, this one was over by, uh, oh, what's the place? That? Millerville, not Millerville, but out in that area anyway, south, southwest Calgary there. Mm-hmm. And we were out in there and, and uh, going through these trees, and we're looking for this guy that just had the heck beat out of him by a bear or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're searching for him. So we're doing it in the middle of the night, dark out, <laughs> and, and it's cold, you know, because like yeah. this was early spring. Winter. like yeah. February or something, we were doing this, and uh, and then they had to have you know they they love to use that smoke and that fog yeah. and <laughs> all that, and they're blowing these deals. It's colder than a blaze that's out there anyway. Our feet are freezing, <laughs> and uh, we're going through there with torches. You know, <laughs> torches seem to be a big thing in yeah. moving business. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we find this guy. But my job, you know, and the, the director comes to me, you know, and he says. Oh, and he calls me Mel, you know, he like somebody must have told him that his name's Mel or whatever. <laughs> and he takes me down to the movie and he's got, he's got a, uh, the camera is on a deal similar to these microphones we're talking yeah. through. They, you can extend it and it goes, moves like and wheels everything. Or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, it's Motor like, it's like a, actually, a actually like a crane, you know, okay. operated deal. <laughs> yeah. Hydraulics or whatever it worked on. And, uh. 
they they filmed the whole movie with in in basically one camera was the idea. They didn't okay. have a whole bunch of cameras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was all about scenery in that movie, and they did a, an incredible job. In mm-hmm. it. So they showed me what they wanted, and and so I'm weaving back and forth in front of the guy that's going to find this guy. Yeah. And so you know, I've I've looked at the movie a couple of times, and I guess that was me because I remember. Oh yeah, I didn't ha- <laughs> I didn't have a. It's so quick, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah. didn't have a I didn't have a. a, a torch in my hand yeah. to do this i was just causing this light to go on and off this guy's face sort of thing from oh. the deal creating oh, okay. this, this deal so that's and i i remember oh yeah that's right that's where i rode off over there yeah. out of the way and <laughs> finds finds him all beat up you know yeah whatever. so how were the horses to ride that were uh, on the set the horses were you know they were pretty most of them were all been on the sets before yeah okay. for sure yeah so yeah I, I rode a big kind of a thoroughbred sorrel horse that uh john had and, and uh, he was tall it's hard yeah. to get on when you were frozen <laughs> oh. standing there <laughs> yeah. and you had no to get doubt. on but uh yeah did you uh were there any wrecks when you guys were had these torches in your hands and no, no. It, it was pretty pretty laid back on mm-hmm. that part um other than guys running through the bush trying to keep track of where they're supposed to relight these torches and yeah you know and it's kind of a gong show <clears throat> where it was though was on the 13th warrior movie that i was in on over in campbell river it was a john scott okay. deal again and there was we we used fjords okay oh. everybody's riding these fjords because they're they're kind of like sheep and one yeah. will follow the other yeah and uh, not all of them did that but you know, and I ended up in the gutter, and a few of these horses fell into it. And I thought I was going to drown. Twenty years on the, on the rodeo trail, the hurricane deck, as you might say, and then I fall into this this moat, and I'm going to drown. I'm hung up to this horse. Oh, my no. feet are hung up in a bunch of netting we got covering the stuff, and and uh, I'd go down in the ditch, and Big Roger Lewis was in the inside of this fortress we were trying to throw these torches into in yeah. this movie. Uh, <laughs> I guess I'd go down, he'd come up and look at me, and then I'd come up, he'd go down oh. again, because he's supposed to be hiding there, right? Yeah. Making sure wherever these tortures go, don't get in trouble. Yeah. So, yeah, so I got soaked that night, and we're wearing bear hides. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. And bear heads. And bear heads. Yeah, because we're, we're these Wendells, and they're, we're supposed to be half human, half bear, oh, right? Oh, my. Okay. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it was a crazy movie. That is crazy. But again, the scenery that they wanted with these torches and the fog and everything turned out really good. So, yeah. yeah. But it's hurry up and wait in a movie. Yeah. Sit there and wait yeah. and wait. And Go ahead. So just for fun, <laughs> what was it like working with Leonardo DiCaprio? Or did you get to work with him directly? Never seen him. No. Other, no? other than right there in front of me, but I, ne- I never said a word to him. Yeah. Okay. His folks were on that movie going around taking pictures and so okay. forth. And I... I didn't meet them either, but no. I knew that's who they were. Oh, yeah. Did you meet uh, anyone kind of famous from that cast? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the one guy that, you know, the guy that played, the uh, that ended up going down the river at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's been a long time Strong, muscly kind of a guy. He, he, I thought he played out great part in the movie when I watched the movie. But but he, he was pretty kind of down to real. He just seemed like a real guy. He yeah. just seemed like an ordinary okay. guy. Some of the other guys that, that were on there, some of the actors, the English actors and whatever they were, um, they were, you know, they were supposed to come and get, we were giving them horse lessons, right, how yeah. to ride this horse up and down there in, in between times. And, yeah. And uh, 
they were in, they were different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that one guy, I remember, and I, I thought he played, a, and I and I should know his name because he is a pretty good, uh, famous actor. He was the main one besides uh, Leo on it. So and he was the one that ended up going floating down at the very end of the <laughs> Now I have to watch that movie. I know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll watch it you. together. Yeah. Maybe we'll well, do that, that, that was, yeah. That was, yeah. That was quite a pretty gory movie. I even yeah, I was. even jumped in the bear thing myself. I, know, I, I jumped yeah. right out of my chair watching that. When yeah. he slept in this horse. There. Oh yeah, was that it was an Appaloosa wild. horse? I didn't see that. Leopard I Appaloosa. So. I, I know. Was, I was like, yeah. not the leopard. Yeah, because because it, it went off over the cliff. There, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, there. So I was only on that movie for maybe four weeks or six okay. weeks. Some days I was just working for John as a wrangler, mm -hmm. and the other times we were actually committed to uh, to riding in front of the camera yeah. or whatever. But uh, we still had laughs on this that movie. But yeah. the, the first movie I did over there in the Vancouver Island, I laughed so hard. Yeah. I'd wake up in the middle of the night laughing at myself. And, you know, <laughs> uh, just the pranks and stuff yeah. that you pulled doing it all, you know. It was a lot of fun. And when was that movie? What year was that? It was back in the 90s. Okay. We'll have to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing 97. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. It was called The 13th Warrior and... and uh, and uh, oh, Banderas. Okay. Was the actor? He was about <laughs> the only actor in it, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was kind of about Vikings, and and uh, he was uh, an Arab or something, hmm. and somehow got hooked up with the Vikings. Oh, yeah. that sounds so. like an interesting movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, so we're kind of starting to wrap up here, but if is there if there was one piece of advice you could give to um, all of us barrel racers, in a few sentences, what would that be? Yeah, well, it would be make the job easy on your horse. You know. Yeah. Don't run the barrels in. once once they know the pattern. You don't need to run them. Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't work on the barrels much, but I would work on imaginary barrels a lot. Yeah. Without them being there, and so that you can help your horse stay under you. Don't try and take over. Mm -hmm. you know, it's so easy for them barrel horses to want to take over. Yeah. And there's a certain part uh, in there where they have to, you have to allow them to do their job. And um, so I, I know that's more than a couple of <laughs> sentences. Okay. But there's a lot of, a lot goes on. I, I think really concentrating on, on feeling what your horse is doing, the yeah. rhythm. And I think in order to do that, you need to cuddle your horse more. Mm, yes. Instead of your chirps stuck yep. out. 40 miles mm -hmm. away from your horse mm -hmm. get get wrapped up around him and follow, yeah. follow him a little more that way make it easy Good. and it's a nice secure way to ride so even like there's a lot of girls that like kick hard do you believe in more like rolling up your feet up and down the sides i wouldn't even i wouldn't even use that no no i would use a total rhythm of the stride oh okay. and, and so there would just be a squeeze and a release a yeah. squeeze and a release you can do that same thing at a walk, practicing it yeah. on your hind two feet. Touch, mm -hmm. release, touch, release, touch, release, touch, release. It amounts to the same thing. Awesome. Thank you, Mel. Yeah. Uh, so we'd like to end all of our podcasts with a little funny or crazy story from our guests to all get, to give us all a laugh. Let us. I know you told the one about you getting bucked off, <laughs> but do you have any other stories in your hat there? Ah, uh, you know, I'd be I'd be stuck for for anything too funny. I was so serious when I rodeoed, you know. Oh, yeah. I was I was I had lots of guys that could tell stories, you know, yeah. <laughs> that were around me and make me laugh. But uh, 
I don't, I, you know, nothing just jumps right out at me where to make it really funny and worth <laughs> laughing about. Um, well, you know what? You made you us laugh fun. the whole yeah. episode, so <laughs> yeah. I think you already yeah. did yourself there. Uh, yeah. This, this was a blast, you guys. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We would love to have you on for a bunch of like little mini episodes mm-hmm. that we're even talking about. Yeah, maybe we could we could talk about some horsemanship yes. stuff and and uh, really uh, focus in on on maybe one sort of part of it and yeah. make, make them short and mm-hmm. sweet yeah and hopefully okay. some people gain something from it we'll yeah. get some videos i think even too and that'd be really cool um, i believe uh steph h and steph w are going to be in your clinic uh this spring however i my horse is gone so i won't be able to but i'll be there auditing for sure no maybe problem. yeah uh, so going back to the clinic since you are doing those now where can people find you and more information about your training and clinics? I have a I have a page site that is is Mel Highland Horsemanship Clinics on Facebook. On Facebook, okay, and that's where I'm gonna kind of do all that kind of stuff on there. Actually, guess who's gonna do it? Yeah, <laughs> my your Mar- beautiful Mar- wife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not that technical, you guys. So uh, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. 2020 now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you up to speed on all this podcast stuff. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I appreciate you coming and, and visiting us, and uh, we wish you well with your podca- podcasts, right? Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. going to say broadcast. No, oh. it's not broadcast. It's mod- podcast. P-O-D. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Yes, I think everyone's really going to love this episode. Mm-hmm. Me too. Anyways. I'm going to listen to it lots. <laughs> Me too. There's a lot of good information, and it was definitely worth driving in a snowstorm to come up to your house today. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I hope lost. it's not a snowstorm <laughs> for you going home. I used to rodeo. I even won the world one time. I bet you didn't know. Even won the world two times I guess y'all didn't know All right, you guys, that was quite the long episode So we're not going to have too long of an outro here But we just wanted to remind you to follow us at Horsepore Podcast on Instagram Horsepore Podcast in or on Facebook and make sure to leave a review and refer us to a friend. We're just three young barrel race, crazy girls that want to bring a different platform to the barrel racing industry. So let us know what you think. And don't forget to get rich or ride trying. I'm a rodeo cowboy in the PRCA. Riding saddle bronze to earn my pay. I wanna be the champion of the world someday. Working a mall, big or small, in Calgary, better to own my fall. Sixty thousand miles of highway, you might even fly. Doesn't really matter as long as you get to drive. Black man's ready and my saddle's on tight Scoop down in it now and I hope things are right Not for my horse and the gate swings wide He blowed out of there, jumping and kicking real high
good child, great cowboy, that you'd love to rodeo. Someone would always be pulling a prank or cracking out a joke. Which could tell his story, make me laugh till it nearly choked. These guys were tough and they had tried, there was nothing that they lacked. Good times, great cowboys, and to them I tip my hat. We were kids barely out of school, hit the road, the rodeo. Same dream when a gold buckle or so. Some never got one. Why I'll never know. Good time, great cowboys that you love to rodeo. I'm not sad It's now I know Rodeo's the best job We ever had Now I know Rodeo's the best job We ever had Good times Fond memories Of all my great friends Were on my mind This morning Ever since this day It's who we were, the way it was, and that's just what we did. Good times, great memories, God bless you all my friends. Good times, great cowboys, God bless you all, amen. I used to rodeo 
I even won the world one time, I bet you didn't know. I would like to stay. Listened to him tell the tales about the good old days that he could tell so well. But it was now my turn. I had to try to ride. And as I nodded my head, his words run through my mind. That I used to be a cowboy. I used to rodeo. I even won the world one time. I bet you didn't know that I used to be a cowboy. I used to rodeo. I even won. I bet you didn't know. I even won the world two times. I guess y'all didn't know.